a word to the wise. We are an explicit podcast tackling content with adult themes as well as entering spoiler territory if you aren't caught up with us. That would be through chapter nine of Fonda Lee's Jade City, the first installment of the Greenbone Saga. <laughs> Hey there, this is Cross. And I remember my lines, unlike Crossland. <laughs> and we are Words and Whiskey, a podcast for veteran and novice readers alike. We tackle fiction novels and love to talk about what we're drinking. You should think of us as your intoxicating weekly book club. Cross, I think we're forgetting people. Oh, shit. Are are we? I, I don't I'm staring at three other faces. Fuck. I don't know what's going on. Where'd they come from? <laughs> I don't even look at the camera usually. Hey. So, <laughs> so. as always again. We are joined with our three wonderful co-hosts. We've got Ben, Aaron, and Thomas. And I said that in that order because that's the order they are in on my screen. <laughs> and of importance. Hello. I mean, like, that's... Wow. Oh, uh, Thomas. Agreed. <laughs> Hard agree on that. Thanks for having us back. We're going to have you, course, you so You did long. pretty well on episode zero. So <laughs> we decided to keep you. <laughs> ready to go on this journey very excited so cool i'm very excited i've been waiting for this day to come for so long you know i've had you guys on my show hasn't been reciprocated we've tried schedules weren't aligning so to be here making my debut on the big stage thomas there we go. thomas Welcome. the boy the man the myth the legend we're so glad to have you Can all you right so, tom go. ever we are so stoked. So t- on today's episode, we're going to be chatting about chapters one through nine of Jade City by Fonda Lee, the very beginning of the Greenbone saga. But before we go too much further, PJ, what's our featured cocktail today? Today, we are going to be talking about the Naked and Famous cocktail. Ooh. So this is equal parts of mezcal, green chartreuse, April, and lime juice. That sounds All good. Shaken and served in a coupe glass. Shaken, not stirred. Yeah, there you go. It is wonderfully complex. There's the all the herby notes mixing with the spice, or the, not the spice, the uh, sort of smoky complexity of the mezcal, and it just. I I was a little bit trepidatious about having like all of these different flavors coming in, but it works really, really, really well. So yeah. Yeah, that's what that's what we've got going. It's a nice sort of salmon colored cocktail, mm-hmm. which contrasts well with the green. So it looks pretty. I'll put a picture up. I know we've been promising to do that for the last several books. And I started to rectify those wrongs, but I, I will get a picture of this up on the website. You were it foiled by formatting. I was foiled by formatting. That's true. Cross my uh, fellow colorblind brethren. Would you say his cocktail looked orange? I I mean, salmon orange, they're pretty close, you know? Salmon uh, is a pinkish orange. Bright orange to me. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no. no it's, it's I mean, salmon. keep in mind, I do see in black, white, and gray, so I have Tough. a very different perception of what color is and is not. It The the camera screen does make it look a lot more orange okay, okay. than it looks like in person. Leave that. So. All right. Well, so since we're only doing the featured cocktail, we're just going to do a quick rundown. So Ben and Aaron, what are you having? Today, we're enjoying some beer mosas. Because it's morning time. (laughs) It is a morning episode. 
that makes- but I don't have a lot of experience with the beer mosa. I let do. Me tell you what, <laughs> I'm enjoying it. I like it more than <laughs> mimosa because I don't love champagne. I would agree. Yeah. I like it more than a mimosa. Yes. So when I go to brunch with the gals, I'm the classy one that orders a beer mosa <laughs> here in the Midwest. Hell yeah. What'd you choose for the base for the beer? So we started with Bud Light and then Ben's second one is a Bud Light, but we ran out. So I have a Hefeweizen from Casey Beer Co. Nice. And then okay. pulp free, obviously. Gotta be. Don't want to pick food out of your beer. Fuck pulp. <laughs> I remember smuggling Tam's beers into the cafeteria in college to make beer moses on Sunday. Nice. Yeah. I do a, I do a ham. <laughs> Actually, the cheaper the beer, it's almost better. I was going to say, it's pretty good with the Bud Light. Yeah. Thomas? Thomas. What, yeah. I'm up. So, battling a told, honestly losing, to be real with you guys out there. So, I'm mostly <laughs> drinking water and tea. However, this is a special occasion. So I have like half a shot's worth of red breast Irish whiskey. Gonna have that, you know, a little toast with the with the group with the fellas and the lady. That'll kill your cold. There we go. Yeah, yeah it'll it might help. Yeah. Who knows? That's that's great. With that, I think a little toast is in order as we kick this off. I would say I'm the record, I'm having a drink that I'm going to go into detail on on the next episode as my featured cocktail, but I'm calling it the Twice Lucky because Ooh, it is excellent. It's made with sake. It's a it's a tiki cocktail. There's your teaser. Really, really tasty. But I'm going to cheers with my follow up beverage, which is sake. Tired. So cheers, everyone, to the first episode and to this thirty episode saga. Cheers. Huzzah. Cheers. All right. Ah, fantastic. Nice <laughs> Before we get too much further, I would love to get some general thoughts on how you guys felt about the reading. It's a new book. It's a new opening. Just what what, what are your quick kind of snapshots on what you're feeling going into the book? A lot of characters so far. A lot of introductions. I'm not sure who we're going to be following or if it's just going to be everybody. So that's kind of an interesting thing so far. I'm thinking that Andy or Andon is going to be kind of our main guy, but we'll see. But it's an intriguing world for sure. I've never read a urban fantasy situation, so that is fun. And I like that world building aspect. That's definitely intriguing to me. And then I'm looking forward to learning more about Jade and how it affects people and what their powers are. There's been some really good teases so far for like, the types of things that people can do with strength and steel and whatnot. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops. seems like it's a good system for like some sweet combat coming up. So cool. Red dope. Yeah. I am going to parrot most of that. Like I, I completely agree with Ben. I, I love all the characters so far. I'm intrigued on seeing who our primary protagonist will be if any curious to see if any of the kids from the first chapter show back up or if that was just kind of a lead into the dangers of the society and the the pitfalls that people have to overcome i coming from mistborn and brandon sanderson i am so desperately wanting for like detailed explanations of the mechanics of what's going on (laughs) but i know that will come with time so I'm I'm looking for it forward to that. Aaron, how are you feeling? Aaron, what are you thinking? Yeah, the the modern fantasy that threw me off. I'm used to there not being cars. 
<laughs> so when when they first start out in the restaurant, I'm like, okay, okay. I'm like, you know, I had already looked at the map and I was like, all right, we're like on an island, you know. Great map to start. I do Great maps, that. really good maps, some zoomed in plans. It does seem map. like they don't have cell phones though, right? That's kind of so what yeah, I, I'm I'm it's it's hard at first to grasp like, okay, where where are the similarities between our world and their world? So they have cars and cities but then yeah they have like house phones yeah, landlines it's, yeah, it's all landline <laughs> pay phones like they have to yeah. call the restaurant to get a hold of someone i'm like well i remember that so maybe they're kind of like you know i don't know maybe they're in the 60s so but plus magic <laughs> <laughs> i did and then all the different characters was interesting at first i was like oh it's a story about these kids and it's like quickly like oh maybe it's about Hilo, maybe it's about, you know, the grandpa. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> but I'm excited to get to know the world better and have a more firm grasp of what's going on, you know, not just in Jade City, but the sister went. Can't even remember. Espinian or something. Espinia. Espinia. Yeah. That's where we live. <laughs> you think? Little little jadeless society. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm very excited, Thomas. I assume you're you're practically salivating at everyone's anticipation. Yeah. So Aaron touched on one of the things I wanted to bring up before we dive into the chapters, and that is the map. Because I think I opened the book, and the very next thing I did is I, because I was reading on Tindle initially, I screenshotted the map, and I sent it to Cross, and I said, you're telling me this isn't a Pokemon? <laughs> the map looks like a little dinosaur embryo or something. <laughs> yeah, let the let the record show real quick. Episode zero said that you don't like my recommendations or that you did not like my recommendations. I said some you of them. loved this one. Okay, all right, fine. We'll, we'll so temper that expectation. I thought about that a lot in the in the little break we took between episode zero and episode <laughs> one. And I would say you and I, there are like the things that we agree on, it's vehement agreement. And we love mm-hmm. those things and cherish them. And then everything right. else, it's diametrically opposed. It's very true. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing that one of us is like, ah, I kind of liked it, and the other one's like, I love it. It's either we love the thing or we one of us loves it, the other hates it. And it's mostly yeah, it's me hating true. it. That's <laughs> it's mostly you hate. I like most things, you know. I like to like things, but nothing worse than the what is it? The Faithful and the Fallen's audiobook narrator. Anyway, <laughs> with that, I think it's time for us to get into the chapters here Woo-hoo. and talk about it. So we're going to kick it off with Chapter One: The Twice Lucky. So we'll start off with our summary here. We open this series in the Twice Lucky, introduced to Barrow and Sampa as they attempt to rob an old Greenbone of his treasured jade. Yes, we do. And one of the things that I think stands out to me as I read this series and this book specifically is how confidently it's written. And I think it seems like the author, Fonda Lee, was just totally in sync with her craft. I kind of picture it as that meme with the rapper writing and his pens on fire. I just picture her like her laptop with this <laughs> flame the entire time. And Not a typewriter. So maybe a typewriter. But on the very first page, this quote, which, to my knowledge, is her first adult novel. And she just drops this line, which is just a banger. Summer had barely begun, and already the city of Janloon was like a spent lover, sticky and fragrant. That line stood out to me as well. I was like, oh, nice. Yeah, and I've, I've got a lot of thoughts on the line. What do you, what do you Thomas, go ahead. 
So my initial thought is that it's just, like I said, it's very confident. And it tells us a little bit, I think, about the environment that we're introduced to. Not only, like, obviously, tropical, humid, hot, but also that verbiage of spent lover. I'm curious to see what everyone kind of made of that. It reminds me of the hot and heavy chapter that we haven't gotten to yet. <laughs> to I was me, texting Cross like, whoa, yeah. not safe for work. To me, I was, it makes me feel like the time, the city's time has passed a little bit. Like it's just on the, on the other side of its heyday, maybe. Yeah, the war is over. They're kind of, the glory days are in the past. All the warriors are dying off. They're spent. But it's in kind of its last throes. I, I didn't quite get that sort of past its prime deal, but definitely sort of in a in a spot of respite, sort of like in a, in a relaxed sort of not necessarily lethargic, but calm state. Yeah, I, I've got this picture in my head. I, I love those descriptions. And I, this is what I think is so evocative about even this first line and gets me to why I like really love Fondelie's prose, like you were saying, Thomas, is that it is. It is very simple in craft, but it is elegant when you start to like really break down the lines and like what she's trying to dive into. And there's so many different ways to spin this. Like I, I think all of these are totally correct, and I hadn't considered like the heydays are in the past. To me, it was more this representation of this the this spent lover is like someone of whom has been used and turned over turned over by society and so it's like they've extracted as much as they can from what's going on there like they're squeezing the city but in a loving way and and so there's just this like affection to to the thievery of sorts and i almost i looked at it similar but almost opposite where i saw it as like a transactional spent lover mm. you know like it's it has no more use mm. See, I think she's it's like used going up. back to the well. She's got to refresh a little bit, you know? She's a, she's <laughs> she, gotta, she needs a nap. She needs a nap. Oh, man. But this chapter is really fascinating. A, for the POV that we quickly abandoned, which is, I think, a, a great thing that you guys had kind of brought up in the beginning. But I, I find it really fascinating because it introduces so many concepts right off the bat. It is a strong chapter that's like, hey, did you like the world? Here's a world for you all of a sudden. Here are all of these different people. Here's perspective. Here's how they react in a way that isn't, it doesn't feel... And I, I try, I'm trying and we will try to not draw too many comparisons to other authors that often, but compared mm -hmm. to like Brandon Sanderson basically breaking down a math equation, this instead is like, hey, here are all the variables, start to put it together and just has that expectation of assembly on the other side. And it's just so cool to see that culture unfold in this way. I wanted to get kind of your guys' thoughts on Barrow and Sampa, what they're doing here and how funny it is to start in this like underdog perspective. I was really expecting these two or at least one of them to like come into the fold a little bit. Like you, you showed determination and grit and, and planning and pulled this off almost. So we'll give you a chance. That's where I was. I was thinking this was going initially. Yeah. I definitely thought we were going to be following one of these two and it was surprising that it then turned into the family, but I liked it as an entry point for sure. And an introduction to Jade number one, and then Hilo and, and then their family kind of. So that was a good, it was a good entry point and in, into the story. I feel like through these characters, cause we got to live in the world for a little bit and see kind of the way that they see these people with these green bones and kind of their reverence for them. And then, 
you get to see kind of what jade is and and how it can be used so i loved it as an introduction but definitely was a little trick there as i thought that was going to be kind of who we were following at first i don't wonder too if they which which kid has the jade power fever jade fever picks it up yeah he does not really pharaoh Sampa is an abuke, so he's not affected okay. by it. Yeah. So I, I'm wondering if Barrow comes back as like a bad guy seeking revenge, like joining the Mountain Clan and coming back for the makes or something. Since they let him go, he's always, it's a loose end. We might see him hmm. again. It does. That definitely gets into like some of the chapter two thoughts. Right? I'm watching Where it's your like, faces oh, he like so. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're very. You have to. I'm very practiced at this, at the very least. Thomas is not, so it's it's very exciting. I do want to talk about the cocktail that served to what? What's his name? To the fat, sweaty guy. The uncle, Sean Chu. Sean Chu. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I so badly wanted to make that cocktail for this. I think it would have worked perfectly. I have no idea how to construct that. It's just rum, lime, and chilies. <laughs> You could try it. You could try I, I it. I don't know what that means. That's pretty hardcore, I feel like. <laughs> like, would, would it be like a chili salt almost? Oh, like that'd be good. Tajine or... Tajine. Like, I don't know. I, I, I imagine it maybe is like an ancho race liqueur was kind of my thought. Like, if I were going to spin okay. it into trying to make it a real cocktail, I was like immediately like, okay, ancho race plus rum. Like, that'll that'll work probably. Then but just leave, with lime, bold. Leave out the sleep agent. No, put that oh, in. I was definitely going to do like powdered sugar <laughs> on the top for the picture. <laughs> I've been drugged. Send help. Thomas, were you going to say something? No, no. Sorry. Okay. All right. Cool. No, you're just leaning in. So I wanted to make sure. Yeah, we do get introduced to all of these characters, right? I think you guys said that there are so many names that we get kind of thrown at us right away. And that's definitely true. This is one of those books in my first read through in my first experience. I started on audio. I bought a physical copy, but I started on audiobook because at the time that's what I had time for. And I was like, whoa, many names. And I picked up the book and I read basically this chunk of chapters physically. And then after that, I put it down and listened to the rest of the book because it's like, okay, once I got the names, the spellings, everything in my head, I was like, perfect. We're good. I can handle it. But there's a lot in in this first chunk. For sure. Yeah, I like it was a good idea to read. I read the nine chapters and then I went back and listened because, like you said, it's easier to get a grasp on who everyone is when you like physically read it and can spell their names <laughs> and then mm-hmm. listening yeah. helped me actually say them. Cause I was saying like, hi, and, and you know, I don't know. Yeah. It's, Instead of makes, I said, Mike's, Mike. Yeah. Right. M A I K. Yeah. Baby. <laughs> <laughs> Mike twins. Are they twins or brothers? Uh, brothers. Brothers. Okay. Yeah. The, the other part that makes it even more complicated with the names is the, augmentations of the names mm-hmm. yeah like all of the suffixes or they say their last name first respect or... last name first yeah yeah and uh-huh. then also, they do that yeah. in china too last name first mm-hmm. yeah this is probably a good spot to bring up the setting as well we, we talked about it a little bit earlier but we kind of get this time frame of somewhere roughly between the 60s and 80s based on the technology like you guys were connecting and, and we get this kind of idea of of what this city is like as an actual city, like you said, urban fantasy for me was also something that felt fairly new and I was, I was shocked and jarred, but at the same time, I, I loved kind of the, the different texture of it all. And I feel like you really get that sort of grittiness, especially from Barrow's perspective, right, right mm-hmm. in the opening. 
it's kind of got like a first law vibe more because it's more modern, but that's mm-hmm. almost like Wild West, so even more modern. <laughs> right. Are there other like notable urban fantasies that you, anybody can think of off the top of their heads? There are a lot. This is the only one I know of. This is my there. first experience yeah. with one for sure. Yeah, I'm normally yeah. in like medieval castles or like on in, you know, different, completely different worlds that have nothing to do with our known world. I mean, Red Rising is mm-hmm. modern, obviously. It's in the future. Yeah, fiction. And we yeah, have huge cities and, fantasy. you know, yeah. so this is like in, yeah. in the in-between. Totally. It it very much is in that in-between space. I, I think maybe the biggest example that other people may be aware of is like the Dresden Files, which Harry Dresden, Jim Butcher, great, great little series there. If you can get past the first four books that are incredibly sexist, like a good noir novel okay. is and a bad noir novel is. Yeah, you know, but like Shadow Run, I think, is like the traditional thing that I grew up with that like I knew about urban fantasy and that's a tabletop RPG. And so it's very much this mix of like, here are the streets in the city and there's like something bustling in the background, but also you're a mage. And so like you can smoke your cigarette and also, you know, cast a fireball down the street, light it with your fingers, you know, Mm -hmm. another, I think unique element of the setting, at least for me, this is the first one that was set in a fictional Asian country that I have read. And so I thought that was, that was very enticing to me because growing up my family, we thought we had Southeast Asian heritage not like a ton, just like a little bit. So seeing that sort of representation in media is always very important to me, even though that heritage was set a bunt. But oh, no. <laughs> so that is, that's just like another little reason that this story is so special to me, I think. I think I agree. There's something really unique and enticing about this being set in an Asian landscape. And I think it is kind of agnostically Asian, right? That's kind of the right. idea is it's not meant to mm-hmm. be any specific place, but it evokes yes. feelings of the East. Definitely, yeah. There's obviously the rest of these characters. We get some vague introductions to the idea of clans. We've got the Make Brothers. We've got kind of all of this. But we also have, of course, the drugging and then the subsequent piling into of the scene that happens in the bathroom in this very tense moment. And kind of, I don't don't know. It's just so, it's such an incredible bit. What did you guys make of that? Well, we know we have firearms. <laughs> Just trying to get a That's grasp true. on everything. <laughs> it was quite a bad plan, I feel like. It fell apart very, very quickly. As soon as he walked into the bathroom, I'm like, this stuff's yeah. Like, there's no way this goes well. I was appalled and at the plan. I was appalled at how quickly his co-conspirator got grabbed and he was like, He's there's a thief in the bathroom. He just like completely screws his friend over. I wouldn't call him a friend, I guess. It was interesting too to know that like the how the jade worked on a newbie. Like the minute it, he squeezed the packet, he was like, "Fuck yeah, he got jazzed," you know, on the jade, jazzed on jade. Jazzed on jade. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those things where you're just like, "This is not going to end well," and then it definitely didn't. I still, I was like, oh, these are our main characters. Something good will happen. <laughs> yeah. Nope. It's so funny how that's painted too, right? Like almost all stories in, in fantasy and fiction start with like an underdog because it's a natural place to start. It gives you a progression arc. And so you start in this underdog's perspective and you're very quickly like, nope, I was wrong. I'm so <laughs> yeah. sorry. I made the wrong <laughs> assumption. <laughs> I definitely thought he was going to get away, but that was quickly shut down. 
Yes. And you, you know, like we start seeing like how fast the makes are moving and like normal people don't even like see them go up, you know, fly up the stairs and slam them down on the ground. It's, it's cool. Mm -hmm. It's like the flash. Oh yeah. Yeah. That explanation of like the, the normal patrons of this restaurant won't have seen anything like this very often before. And it, it will become like a, a told spectacle around their homes and friends afterwards. That was pretty cool. Like that, that got me a very good sense of the sort of setting and secrecy of these characters a little bit. Was that this chapter or was that next chapter? And that brings us into chapter two, the horn of no peak. So in this, we sort of switch point of views and we see Cal Hiloshudan, who carefully maintains the balance of the twice lucky's reputation while also managing to discipline the brazen pair of jade thief teenagers, all in the name of his clan, No Peak. So I think an interesting part of this is that we see a lot of what we saw in the previous chapter, but in a new point of view. I also, yeah. when you said um, No Peak, I was like, oh yeah, I remember thinking, that's so funny. We have the Mountain Clan and then we have No Peak. Because Ben you and know how I long are took me here to fucking figure and- that out. <laughs> it took me two books two and a half books oh, no, i didn't I... figure it out until legacy i didn't put it together i was so, i felt so dumb when it clicked and i was like oh god well, at first Fuck. i thought no peak was kind of like no cap like you know like <laughs> yeah. a, a slang term and then i was like oh no peak that's us here in kansas yeah we're no Flatlanders. we're a no peak clan <laughs> <That's amazing. laughs> god yeah no cap no cap. Yeah, that's, I think that's I feel like show. We top. That's the best we're going to do. Shut it down now, folks. That's great. 30 minutes. We're done. Chapter two. This kind of gets into the rest of the chapters, but I feel like this was a really great introduction for Hilo. And then the more you get to know him, the worse More of a douchebag yeah. you like, find out he is. The more I did not like him, but I really liked him at mm-hmm. first in this chapter. Yeah, he seemed uh, very thoughtful and empathetic and like forward thinking by keeping the restaurant owner on their side but then by the end of the chapter he's like beating the shit out of two kids and i was like "Mm, okay maybe he's just (laughs) doing some gang stuff i know we gotta (laughs) we gotta do gang stuff we're gangsters we got mafia vibes at the same time then it just like after that he kind of goes downhill we'll talk about that more i'm sure but i did yeah i did i was very intrigued by his character at first because i was like oh okay we're following hilo and just trying to grasp yeah. on to who the main character is. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, he did a really good job with, especially with the, the lantern man and, and helping him with the twice lucky and that kind of thing. Um, Sir Une. And I thought he handled the situation well, like I said, until he started beating the shit out of some kids. So that's when I was kind of yeah, like, they kind of deserved it. Maybe this guy's not who I thought he was, <laughs> but. I was like, I mean, he does let them go. That's true. Well, he doesn't. Well, well yeah. Well, he <laughs> <Yeah>. doesn't. <laughs> Get your facts straight. Hilo would not have let him yeah. go, to be no. clear. <laughs> no, that's, yeah. Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think that this chapter is really interesting, that switch between the perspective of, of, Barrow and moving into someone who's actually in this clan and and that sort of way that he's clearly maintaining the decorum and we start to figure out some of these foundational bits of Ekinese culture. Lantern men, like you'd mentioned, paying tribute to the Greenbone clans and then at the same time for like protection, it kind of seems. And then also being like responsible for the upkeep of the business because they can't afford to lose that business either. So there's this interesting balance that he has to maintain. A decorum, I think, is maybe the best way to 
put that but also shout out fonda for her nicknames for stuff like she's very good at naming things lantern men the weatherman the yeah the weatherman the horn all of that type of stuff she those all of those are like they evoke something and you can kind of understand what it is right away without even knowing knowing what exactly. exactly it means so that's that's the sign of a really good author i feel like yeah, fingers into fist is just so yes. smart. Like it's like <laughs> yeah. naturally, of course. Yeah, that's the way. That's the way that happens. I I adore that as well. And it, it took me a while to wrap my head around weatherman, mm. but I think we'll get there. Understanding the idea that they're, <laughs> yeah, I think it makes sense. Mm-hmm. I'm on your side. Yeah. One thing that strikes me in this interaction that we were touching on with that maintaining the balance between lantern men and keeping their allegiance. Then when Hilo, you know, he does, he goes out of his way, he calms things down, talks to Mr. Une, and he's like, send us the bill. And so, you know, obviously that goes to keep the balance. And this might just be because I'm rewatching PT Blinders as we're doing this. <laughs> but it's just that whole, that whole, this whole chapter, there's a lot of Tommy Shelby vibes for our dude Hilo with the cigarette, the send me the bill, that all that stuff. So I say hello for that to your mother reason. for me. <laughs> <laughs> was that a Godfather impression? Or it is what a Godfather we... for sure. I think so. I think she was trying. Good stuff. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> I totally agree. I fucking love the way that that's portrayed and this idea of like, we'll take care of it. And just that sort of, like you said, it makes Hilo seem like the good guy right away. Yeah. And then you you pivot this chapter into beating the shit out of the kids. You're like, <laughs> yeah. oh my God. <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> like, okay, I need to think about that a, a bit. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's definitely some compartmentalization going on there as far as like who you are and what you, what you present, it feels, from there. And I, I think that gets into kind of this idea of the societal pride of the Green Bones and the outward celebration of jade among those who wear it they're definitely like a revered class in society it's not perfectly clear where they align outside of they're on the hierarchy and they're definitely up top comparatively but it also leads us into some interesting prospects and questions as we learn about this undercurrent of a black market that trades and sell the stuff river diving and and what that means on the whole yeah you saying us that to this makes me wonder like three finger g yeah. Who's governing this place? Like, is it just the clans that are governing this country, or is there like an actual elected government? So far, it seems like the the two main families. Right. It seems like it's like run by these. It's clans. run by the mob. Right. So that's that's interesting setup as well. But yes, three finger G. Sorry. No, you're good. I, it, absolutely, we're we're working it out. But three finger G has gone dead, and I totally agree with you. It's just there's this. There's this note of like, A, who's running it? And then B, they're so aware of any everything that it feels like they're running it. And yeah. you're like, really? Like a whole country? <laughs> what? But yeah, and it's it's just kind of this dark corner. But he's been replaced. And that's kind of the big the big send off that we get here from this section of beating the shit out of some kids. And he's uh, like a black market jade smuggler, correct? Mm-hmm. They're panning yeah. for jade. Yep. Okay, I just wanted to make sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. That brings up something that doesn't really get addressed. Who is using this black market jade? Like, where is it going? I guess my guess would be I'm presumably not the family. Espinia, right? Espinia. Espinia. Because yeah. aren't they? They're like they're warring with them. Espinians don't have the ability to use jade, though. Don't you have to be a green bone 
What's the race? Not the Kekanese. It it is it is Kekanese. It's of Kekanese descent, but there there is a delineation with uh, of whom are native Kekanese, and then also can't just standard. Correct. They're immune to the effects, also, so they also don't have any they don't of the get side itchy. effects. Yeah, they don't get. They don't, they get don't have to use a cheese grater. <laughs> oh my god, we'll get there. <laughs> you want to talk about some Pierce Brown writing? You got it right there. Oh, shit. It's dark. Yeah. Thomas, did you have a quote around Three Finger G, I, right? I think I do yeah. have a quote around Three Finger G, and then I have another quote, depending yeah. if we want to get here, then do it. Three Finger G might be a black market jade thief, but he was a familiar one, a known entity. The stray dog in Hilo's neighborhood that stole from the garbage cans, but was not troublesome enough to be worth killing. So there's that. And then I'm going to read the other one just because I think it's, I want to talk about them in tandem as an example of something. Mr. Une nodded in vigorous relief. He wore the expression of someone who'd nearly been hit by a bus only to have it swerve out of the way and drop a suitcase of money at his feet. So one of the powerful things that I think Andali is doing here. She has all these crazy metaphors that I don't know if a less skilled author could pull off. Because these are kind of insane. <laughs> They're pretty insane. But they, they also very much give the impression of power and importance to, to the Call family. Like, if, if these are the just kind of general descriptions of, like, how they're interacting with people, that's, that's pretty telling. Of like how high on the societal ladder they are, truly. That's a really good point. Yeah, yeah. Like that's. I'm not saying insane in a bad way. Like I think they're perfectly evocative. Like you were getting oh, yeah. at. Yeah. It's also descriptive in that yeah, we now we know there's dogs. We know there's buses and suitcases. <laughs> yep. I'm still trying. I'm money. I'm like filling in the gaps. Yeah, there's money. We have. <laughs> this feet. is one of the things that Crossland and I talked about a lot. Is how these little like the little sayings and stuff it builds the world naturally in a way right that it, there's not a lot of exposition dumps necessarily like you just well, yeah, grounds get it, that knowledge right there grounds it in a world that we know because these are like you know comparisons that we would use in our everyday life if we were a great author i guess but anyway like that <laughs> all that stuff is stuff like we would say and so it, it grounds you in a world that's very similar to ours but there's all these little changes and that's kind of what makes it fun to continue to explore and build it. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting too, because not only do you have these like two quotes that really like give you a like dichotomy of perspectives, but it also gives you like a range of tolerance for Hilo. Like these two quotes in combination create so much space around the idea of what green bones are and, and sort of the way that it's like we tolerate some things, but at the same time, it seems like we've got a vindictive stranglehold. And we go back to the first quote of the book, right, of the the spent lover, and you get this idea of the grasp and the way that they've, like, drug along the city with them as the clans have grown, that it's just, oh, God, again, I'm rereading this for only the third time now, and it's just like, fuck, <laughs> uh, every time. Anything else on this chapter regarding the kids, the beatings? The, it was the a results. great, a great intro. I think. Yeah, for sure. Kind of the first real chapter in a way. You know, the the first one is kind of a prologue in a different POV, but yeah. All right. With that, we get into chapter three: the sleepless pillar. 
Call Luncheon One, the pillar of the Nopi clan, is forced to sentence the unruly scoundrels presented to him by his brother, Hilo. Against protestations, he spares them. Hilo and Doru, his weatherman, present the possibility of the interference in their known quantity of an illicit jade carver being replaced by Ait Mata, leader of the Mountain Clan. What do we make of our first impression on Lon? He seems steady. Very steady. I liked Lon a lot. Definitely the older brother. Right. He seems like he's getting pulled in a lot of different ways. So Got um, an asshole grandpa? Yeah, he's got a very tough grandpa. He's got a crazy younger brother. He's got a pretty crazy job. I mean, let's be honest. And His so, day job is not great. Yeah. So <laughs> I do like him, though. Yeah, he, he came across as like, I feel like he's going to be an honorable, honorable dude. He's going to be put in some sticky, tough situations. And I'm interested to see how that plays out for him. And I'm assuming maybe not very well. I like the intro to this chapter too, because we learn more about Jade and how, you know, Lon can't even like sit at peace in a meadow because he can like sense the mouse that's behind him. And like with Jade, there's like no quiet, like you can sense everything around you. So that was interesting to like learn more about how Jade kind of makes you a, a super sensor. He's given me massive Ned Stark vibes in this first chapter. Mm. Oh yeah. Oh, that's not good. (laughs) (laughs) Spells doom at that rate. That's that's a great comparison. Not in love with that. I, I do. I I, I do love that unrest that you're citing. Yeah. I got the pretty strong impression, which is backed up throughout the rest of these chapters that he has a pretty, pretty heavy dose of imposter syndrome coursing through his veins, like very much doesn't quite feel like he's prepared and like ready to lead the clan. Like he's in the position. Well, he has a a lot to Um, live up to with his warrior. That's fair. Dad and grandpa. Yeah. He's in a tough position with the amount of like his grandpa still being around and still, having a a say but i guess not really having a say so it's hard for him to like assert himself at this point and i feel like that's where he's at he's trying to figure out like he's like i think i could be good at this and i want to do it this way but it's really hard to assert myself because of this this and this i have a crazy younger brother who will do pretty much whatever he wants unless i really hold his leash and then i have my grandpa telling me all this stuff that I've got to listen to out of me. And yeah. And he's like the most respected OG guy in the entire country, apparently. So (laughs) it's, it's a tough position to be in for sure. And he kind of puts himself there. He puts himself into that position because he doesn't have to take direction from his grandpa anymore. He doesn't have to consult him at all. But decides to because it's like kind of his actively puts himself into this position where he feels like he is being pulled in. It seems like that's his personality where he wants to honor his family and like do the right thing or be be right by them. But at the same time, this position kind of requires him to be much more ruthless and controlling and just take charge. And so his personality, I would agree. I don't think it really fits his role or he's that's what he's struggling nice. with the most he's a nice guy <laughs> he does seem like a sweet boy i will say that lon has a place in my heart is one of my favorite characters just an intro alone of like of the characters that we meet this week lon's intro is my favorite you know he had not to 
I'm trying not to talk about Red Rising, but he has Romulus vibes. Mm. That's fair. I like that. That tracks. Sitting in the garden, meditating. Mm -hmm. Shirt off. (laughs) Hunky daddy figure. (laughs) No kids. Thomas, you wanted to talk about the, the sort of sleeplessness, right? Yes, I did. I feel like Ben kind of touched on it enough when he said, you know, the or maybe it was PJ, with the heavy dose of imposter syndrome going on. And that was, I was curious to see if that was the overall, if that was what people were thinking was going on with, you know, he has the sleeplessness issue. He's hesitant to see a doctor. He's hesitant to make moves on his own without consulting everybody, you know, consulting his grandfather like you guys were touching on. So I was just wanted to assess where everyone's head was at with that. Especially these first few chapters, I, I'm kind of in that camp of he just doesn't have the confidence that he needs to really thrive in this position. I think we see the turning point and he recognizes it as a turning point later on when he's by his grandfather. But these first few chapters, he's definitely cautious and and not not the leader yeah. that the clan needs. Yeah, I'm easy. interested to see if he has is going to have like the ruthlessness and conviction that I think this role is going to ask of him. But maybe, maybe his uh, empathy and patience, and you know, quick maybe he to can forgive. Do it a different way. Yeah. Maybe it'll be a less bloodied way of leading. I yeah, that would take a strong-willed person. So I'm not. That's I guess that's what I would want to see. I think that's a good dichotomy. There is like, does he turn into like this ruthless dictator kind of, or does he become like a strong, strong-willed leader who does things the way that he wants to through confidence and and bringing people with him? So that'll be interesting to see how that develops. I love I love Lon. I have so much to say about Lon as a character, and I just have to I have to bite my tongue. But I love the story of the three rats that he brings up here, and how this is kind of this critical test that you had mentioned earlier, Aaron. That this like stands out in his head. Like he can't he can't sit quietly with the jade that he has on without feeling the reverberations of everything around him. But on top of that, even the most subtle reverberation of a mouse reminds him of of having to kill three mice before being able to leave this test. And there's just this sort of subtle aura of what it takes to be a green bone that's kind of in the backdrop of all of this. Well said. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> just throw him in a pit with a bunch of my or a bunch of rats Reminds you in the of, dark. Yeah, of the institute. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you get flashes. Maybe you get why I like this. You know why Thomas <laughs> and I like this. It is fun too when you have a magic system. I like when they have like the schools in place and obviously we'll get to the school but he like you said you kind of see hints of it when he's talking about the tests and and then even in the beginning they talk about the untrained kekanese who go insane so it's just a a well built magic system so far yeah and you, you'd made mention, too, of like the, the ability and the sense of Jade. And I love the way that when Doru, the weatherman, walks in and is the shade, he almost has this like spider sense reaction. I, I picture it very comic booky, where it's like over no. the shoulder, he like, pa! And you get like the little pop of like a, <laughs> an expression on his face as he realizes that someone's violated the area that he's in. And we get the shade moving over the ground. What was your first impression of Doru, the weatherman? He's slimy. I am suspicious of Doru for sure. I feel like 
I think he's got ulterior motives. That's what I'm going to say about Doro. I, I I feel like I feel like he's working for the other side. We can That's enter into also, some conspiracy corner. We can, yes, we can do that. that if That's my current, my start, current. Start spanning it. My current conspiracy corner is definitely. I agree with Aaron. I think working the weatherman. The he's working for the mountain, and I I feel like he doesn't respect Juan. And yeah, he sees him as weak. He is. There's something going on there with the grandpa and the weatherman and the mountain clan. And I'm not sure the grandpa's involved, but I feel like the weatherman's been around for so long. And now he's like, because grandpa can't do it anymore. He's going to turn on lawn because he sees like the mountain clan as more powerful. Yeah. He thinks Aitmata is a stronger leader. Yeah. That's where I'm at on the weatherman. I don't like him. I don't disagree at all with any of that. And, also figured he'd be a turncoat of some sort. But at the same time, I didn't get quite as negative of an impression of him in his like actual interactions as what I would have expected based on Lan and like the, the rest of the family's descriptions of it. Like they, they describe him as much slimier and grosser than the way he really presents himself on the few pages that we actually see him. So, Where's your conspiracy corner, PJ? Curious about that. <laughs> yep. Too PJ trusting. thinks that the family thinks that they're slimy. PJ's not been betrayed uh. recently enough is what's happening. <laughs> we, we've I'm been kidding. hurt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do have a major conspiracy for the end of this once we get to the, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll uh, get the end we'll of chapter that. nine. I'm so excited. Yeah. Oh, so. <laughs> PJ, what were um, you going to say, though, about the shade? Well, I, I mean, like all of all of the siblings mm-hmm. talk about Doru as this like bull guy, and he doesn't present himself that way. Like we we haven't actually seen that happen. They've disagreed a little bit. There's been a little bit of disrespect, but overall, it it, it hasn't been egregious. I'd say. To me, he seems like the type of character. I think this is kind of a character archetype where he's like the older he advisor character that knows better and feels like he knows better than the younger new leader. And so over time we learn that this old advisor is leading this young leader astray in certain areas because he's connected to our enemy. And so that's kind of where I'm seeing like setting him up fitting. to fail yeah yeah totally and like i i don't disagree i just there's something to it yeah i don't know what yeah. it, it is, is kind of badass that like bad. he looks like just a advisor but then he's like under his shirt he's all scarred up from war and he's actually probably a badass jade fighter we'll see we'll give him a chance pj Regarding your thoughts on how perception works, I sort of, sorry to throw it back to that, but I sort of picture it as, because we hear that they have auras, right? So I kind of picture it as like the aura is cast out however far, and then when something encounters it. So I picture it more as like Doru projects his aura, and it brushes against lawns. If that makes sense? And then that's it's a bubble. how he comes yeah, into it. I, I see yeah. it as a bubble. Yeah. All right, video gaming it up. It's an AOE bubble, and when they interact, you, you understand, and you're like, oh, shit. Like, and that, so that's where I think like spider sense comes into it for me or like the comic booky nature of that, where it's like, oh, 
you hit you hit my sense range and so now i know yeah star wars yeah. like a jedi right. can sense of force or sensitivity yeah 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 totally plays into that the, the one final note that i wanted to add into this chapter is that the ego of Hilo, i think is really called into question within lon's perspective here to some degree you'd mentioned this earlier ben and kind of his evaluation of like god i have to deal with my firebrand as he's described later of it of a younger brother how how do i do this how do i like he's a young guy in a position that was meant for old men that were warriors and very very tough kind of mix what do we make of he of land lawn's impression of Hilo as a sibling like that's so cool i love i love yeah this it's a tough situation just because it's like his brother that he loves but i feel like he's got him pegged pretty good and he knows <laughs> that he is going to be a problem at times and that it's on him to control and keep Hilo from like going volcano at certain times so i think mm-hmm. that's going to be a consistent issue for them as long as they're together as part of this series like it's going to be a constant thorn in Lon's side that he's going to have to deal with Hilo fucking shit up (laughs) I wonder how much jealousy there actually could be coming from Hilo being the like technically underling of Lon that doesn't seem to really show its face much but I could see that being an issue going forward and he seems to have the personality that more is more fitting for a gang leader i guess but and the the person that's willing to be ruthless but i think like he's not calculated enough to be an actual leader and that's where lon comes in so and he's still pretty young they balance each other out pretty well in that way it's just whether you can keep kilo under control which i don't think at some point i feel like that's going to go bad I feel like it's about to go bad <laughs> where we stopped reading. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's as though I maybe placed you on a cliffhanger for some uh. reason. <laughs> or rather, we placed you on a cliffhanger. For the yes. record, Thomas did do a good amount of the evaluation. He adjusted a number of chapters as I went through this. He was like, Thanks, no, 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 Thomas. shift that one back and forward. So, Yeah, I don't think I did it necessarily to be nice, but... You know, no one did it. We had some to be clear. Yeah, we had some discussions about how where things fit, like thematically. I think I Um, almost ended on chapter eight originally here, and we we shifted it to nine because it's like, well, that's 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 a tougher cliffhanger. Yeah, Yeah. and one in legacy twenty seven versus twenty nine. I think anyway. Anyway, outside of baseball again, PJ, you pulled on a string that I'm interested in, where you said. You questioned whether Hilo could potentially become jealous of Lon. But I think in this chapter, we see that perhaps Lon has, maybe not jealousy, but there's a little thing where there's the exchange where Lon orders the mage to do something and they look to Hilo first. And I was curious if anyone made anything of that. And then they, yeah, Lon kind of thinks like that's a little annoying that they're so loyal to his brother. And I think that will also tie into just the Lon's confidence. Like he, that gets touched on with his grandfather as well. Like the intention and being fully intended and fully intentioned rather in his decision-making and his actions and everything. People will follow suit and people will, will fall in line when, when he embodies that and really embraces it. So I, I think that's a part of it as well. Yeah. He's definitely kind of jealous that he doesn't inspire that kind of, loyalty in people 
himself. And so he's like, what's wrong with me that I'm not having people look at me that way? People are looking at him more like questioning him at all times and whether he's okay in this role or whether he can do it. Nobody really thinks that Hilo can't be the horn because he's got the personality for it and he's inspired this loyalty already from his guys and he's clearly got like a lot of dudes that are ready to fuck shit up for him if he says go so lawn's obviously got that but it's more like out of obligation and just that this is an organization already and not because they love him and lawn has so much stress he's obviously not sleeping but he can't tell anyone because then if he had jade sickness that mean he was like crazy so Hilo's like wearing his role more confidently, like you yeah. said. Like, and that's just another little bug in Lon's head where he's like, should I be doing this? Can I do this? Like his part of his imposter syndrome, like we were talking about and, and questioning whether this is what he wants. I feel like in additional complexity to this specific scenario, I believe these two guys are his, are Hilo's brother-in-laws. <laughs> Which that makes or like so, girlfriend, girlfriend in laws. Yeah. Oh, we're, we're, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There is a question there yeah. that I think I would love to get to once we once we get to that question. But I, I think regardless, it's that, a, unknown girlfriend, right? She's a stone eye. <laughs> great question. Great question. You know, for some reason I thought they were married. No, she's his secret lover, but it's not such a secret. Definitely it's it's explicit like it. that it's girlfriend a couple of times at the very yeah. least. So I, okay. I feel a vessel for sex. That That's what she is. <laughs> it's, Oh boy. Like that. <laughs> we'll get into that in a fucking minute. Literally. <laughs> but but I, 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 th- I think the point of loyalty and sort of the, the crutch that you're leaning on there, especially with not a crutch, but like the point that you're leaning on there with Lon is huge. I think that's instrumental to, to the character is like the obligation of loyalty to Lon versus the earned respect of Hilo is, is a dichotomy. And he, he thinks about it a lot. And I think that, you know, you drew this comparison to Romulus, of which I don't want to dwell too much on Red Rising and try not to spoil people on it either. But the idea, he's a very stoic character. He's internalizing a lot of this. He's thinking through things and he's a lot more self-conscious in these early chapters. But then he takes that and he goes in to the fourth chapter, the Torch of Kekon. Before we get there, sorry to ruin yep. that beautiful segue you had. Oh, God uh, damn I do it. Have one last question. <laughs> Thomas. Thomas. In this it's chapter, you know, there's a lot of discussion when yeah. they release Barrow about Jade Sickness. And so I was oh, curious yeah. if anyone had any lean about whether that was, like, do we think that's a physical thing or a mental thing or, like, societal? What is it? We also didn't talk about the choice to release Barrow, so hit that, too. Thank you. <laughs> the Jade Sickness seems like a uh, psychosis. Like, Yeah, I would agree. Like you you snap and kind of lose your sense of reality. And I'm glad that Lon let him go. I feel like that tells you a lot about the type of character, that type of guy that he is. And that's the type of leader that I like. And so to me, that made like an instant connection for me with Lon where I was like, okay, this guy has a sense of honor and I feel like he's going to be a reasonable reasonable leader so that that's someone i want to follow and see how that develops but putting the a reasonable leader like that in a gangster world like this that requires so much ruthlessness and terribleness and and that kind of thing so it'll be interesting to see how that that's really kind of what hooks me 
in these first few chapters is I want to see how that develops and like how that fights against each other where Lon is like seems like this very honorable man in a down and dirty society and a down and dirty job and how he's going to deal with that especially as shit escalates hey none of that <laughs> oh. I, I held yeah, back my story. honor remains <laughs> it's tough it's tough to you know one of the, one of the funnest and hardest parts of the show is not being like oh god talking about all the stuff in Mistborn and oh god talking about all the stuff in red rising <laughs> yeah. and like <laughs> drawing those comparisons it's a, it's a tough note hey that one just fit. but yeah, it did. It did. Sometimes shit escalates. Yeah. I love to squeeze in those references, especially for things that you don't understand in the future that I'm referencing. So, you know, rude. You'll you'll get brutalized in in the comments. Don't worry about it. So, just to be clear, Jade's sickness. What we're talking about is different from like the Jade withdrawals, correct? Yeah, I, I think in this chapter, I'm gonna pull up a quote if we want, but basically, they get at like that because Barrow touched Jade, it seems like Hilo is concerned that he's going to become a thorn in their side. And there's references to, in earlier chapters, to like this belief from people who aren't trained to have Jade that they can wield it. And they get this Jade sickness. And young men are prone to Jade fever. Yeah, they seem like... So I was like, is it a chemical dependency? Or? Yeah, I think, I think what you're describing is the physical withdrawal... And then what we hear about yeah. later with the cheese grater, that's more of a losing your mind situation. And then clearly, like, the people that are even trained to use Jade still have, like, that withdrawal from it. But they're trained to be able to handle it. So I think everybody kind of goes through that. But I think the Jade sickness is just that withdrawal well, yeah, the- exploded with people that don't understand how to control it. With the Caldu Academy, they're microdosing. And then this kid Barrow like took a full hit without prepping yes. himself. Yo, great analogy. <laughs> yes, great analogy. Very well done. I I'd be curious. I, I don't think the sort of jade fever could be physical because it's like prior to any interaction with it. It's just jealousy and or and the yearning. Societies. It seems like an addiction um, type. Yeah. 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 Or yeah, yeah, like you said, like society, like they're they're seeing the green bones and they're like, I could fucking do that. Just give me some jade. If I had their status, I would be powerful. So yeah, I think I think the jade fever is the the jealousy and and yearning for power and then plus if they get it, then they're like they can feel the power. Yeah. And then when they rip it away from him, yeah. he's He's in immediately withdrawal. Yeah. Which I think that was physical. Yeah. Physical in the way that like someone who's addicted to a substance has withdrawal from it. Yeah. Dope. Which I, I would argue is both yeah, physical and I would mental. Agree. Yeah. Right. Yeah. None of us have done, done drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Never. Nobody here does drugs. <laughs> no, 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 no. Alcohol only podcast. <laughs> <laughs> which is also a drug. It's legal in most states to smoke. You're fine. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, New York, we're good. <laughs> Speaking of Barrow, what do we make of Lon's decision and of his counselor's opposite counseling? I, yeah, I've already, already I'm, said I'm already on record that I like the decision. I feel like I'm not big on killing children, <laughs> teenagers. <laughs> okay. So 
Take care of him. <laughs> Throw him in the river, you know, like just dump him. <laughs> so, Relap sack him. To me, that was a little harsh, even though we're, we've got, even though this is hashtag gang shit, I still don't want to kill a teenager. I'll give him a second chance. If he comes back and does something stupid, okay, now it's time to do some gang shit. Then but yeah, him. let's give him a chance. Yeah, they probably should have killed him. He's definitely coming back. <laughs> <laughs> he does seem like he's probably going to show up Definitely at an inopportune moment. A yeah. bad spot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, I am fully on board with Ben's take that killing kids is a bad thing to do. But also, like, I think it was a mistake. To, to <laughs> You're such an interesting combination there. <laughs> PJ and I are on the same page. Just kill him. He'll be annoying later. <laughs> We we don't condone killing children, but this fucking guy. <laughs> unless unless they have a name that starts with an L. No. <laughs> anyway, as he sips some tea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With that, we go into chapter four, the torch of Kcon. In chapter four, Lon consults his grandfather on new moves to be made within the clan, as represented with both family and national history. So in this chapter, we, of course, meet Carl Sennington, the Torch of Kikon, who's, you know, an actual living legend, not just in the business world, not just in this weird, what we're pitching up on as pseudo-gangster, maybe full-on gangster clan world, a living legend in this nation. And so, you know, he's just fought off a long rebellion against the occupiers of their nation, but he's going through it. He's been spiritually wounded. This is a legend at the tail end, it seems safe to say, who has experienced grave losses and finds his time in the rear view. Yeah, losing both a father and a son. Like like having not only like this depiction of like losing Du as we Dushran as we eventually learn his name, but losing Lon Shay and Hilo's father, as well as his own child, and how he copes with that. It's it's an intense moment, intense chapter. Do we think this guy's going senile a little bit? I mean, do you think he's going senile yeah. a little bit? It seems like it. So I, I do like think it's of another to, era. It's yeah. There, there's also to that name. There's almost given the context of every other name that we have. There's almost a conqueror's like tone in that name. It feels English when everyone else's name feels distinct and otherwise like encapsulated in something else. But Sennington feels like it is trying to emulate something else versus every other name so this that just made me think of this for the first time i wonder if that is because he was grown up in an era where his nation was occupied so that's that is very interesting 100 percent, 100 percent. yeah yeah i think that's totally why he's got this very almost british inspired name that makes sense yeah lon was also born in that time frame Right. No, do so, was do was not lawn. Be he mistakes do for well, lawn. Kind of though. Yeah, not quite because they they conquered like the. Y- you're right. You're right. Yeah, the war ended 25 years ago, and I think Hilo was one years old or something like one year old when that happened. Shay was fresh. Lon is yeah. nine years older. Mm-hmm. So like he was ten when this war ended. Mm-hmm. But Lon was born to rebels. That's true. That's a good point. I, I think that was, yeah. Call Sennington was underneath occupation and so like matches that name. I guess the thing in my head is does the Mountain Clans member 
match that name. I have it written here. One second. Ugontin? You Tin is kind of more... Mm-hmm. Again, like it gets into kind of a British-esque spin, but Ugontin still like has more of an Asian spin on it, I think, than a British I, influence like he does. I definitely pronounced it Ugatan. <laughs> In your head. Yeah. I, I get yeah. it. Yeah. Did you also uh, this this is a genuine question to hop in here? Sorry. So sorry. Did you guys all listen to the audiobook? Did everyone yes. listen to the audiobook? I did not. I just read. Mm-hmm. Okay, Ben's yeah. Ben's the only one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All good. I'm just curious. If you need the audible login, I, I have it. He has mine. I have hers. I will probably okay. start listening to it at some point. But yeah, I definitely wanted to start with reading it because it I I'm not good paying attention at the beginning of books with names and whatnot. Cut, cut, cut. Boring. <laughs> Asshole. <laughs> wow. This is technical foul. <laughs> technical foul for sure. Jeez. Sorry, this is my third most. <laughs> you can tell I get meaner. <laughs> so the grandpa, you can see kind of now where Lon's sense of imposter syndrome comes from because his grandpa's a total asshole to him. And he's like, if I thought, oh, he starts talking to his dead son. And then he's like, oh, yeah, if, th- if that were your father, you know, his aura would be much stronger. And, you know, he keeps putting him down like, if, if only you were your father and not you, you pathetic grandchild. <laughs> I 100% agree. Respect to a legend, but he's a dickhead. I did not like grandpa. And like, can you imagine like your grandpa getting up and just smacking the shit out of you? And you're like, hey, I don't want to hurt you, dude. Like, chill out. He is a dickhead. But I do also wonder if it's entirely intentional to try to motivate him to to be his own person and be the pillar that they need. Like, it's misguided, maybe. And but it, it, it feels intentional in this moment. yeah i would definitely agree that there maybe is a motivation factor there but he's going about it the wrong wrong way and i don't know it seems like a little misguided to me it it's he's not like filling lawn with confidence he's like tearing him down and he's also like still trying to make decisions like he's not giving Lon any agency and so like especially when they have the conversation about Doru and what he was talking about I want to replace my weatherman he's like no he's a great weatherman you don't need to do that and it's just like well if he's supposed to be you know the leader then he should get to make his own decisions regardless like and if if we're going to empower him to do that then empower him to do it can we also point out that he's like an old racist guy (laughs) For sure, he's a total misanthropic racist. He's got problems on his own. He's he's, and there's there's something there that like it kind of makes sense in a way because he's protecting like his culture and and the way that like he has been like they've been taken over by other things. So it's like you get it, but at the same time, like at a certain point, it's like yep, I protected myself. I now should be more opening to other things and like consider them. And he's just stuck in those old ways, probably because yeah. he's old, but who knows? He's definitely of an era. Yeah. He's and basically like calling people mudbloods. 
he is oh god it gets bad it gets bad like i'm not trying to support him by any stretch but like there's a weird balance that exists along those lines that it's like at one point at what point does protecting your culture become abject xenophobia and racism and that's a good question to ask but one that i'm not talented enough to answer yeah just going backwards a little bit talking about the sort of lawn takes this information and this sort of pitch to replace Doru, which is shot down. I wonder how much of that is his grandfather's legitimate opinion and how much of it is obstinance of if you're going to come and like as the pillar, as the ultimate decision-making person ask for permission for something, I'm just going to flat out tell you no and like let you deal with it that way. Like it, I really think that there's something to the idea that he is like maybe overextending his tough love play, but like I, I'd, I'd be curious how much of it is opinion and how much of it is obstinate. You read it as tough love, a little bit. Yeah. Did you have a mean grandpa, PJ? No, <laughs> we're just peeling it right to the core of the onion, huh? <laughs> like you're given sending Jen a lot of. <laughs> Anyway, I'm like, he's an asshole. <laughs> of course he's an asshole. I, I'm just, I'm trying to put myself into that. Try, trying to really suss out what his motivations are. Because he's the one that, like, gave up the throne, like, the throne, or the, the position. And appointed his his grandson to this position. And so, like, it feels like he does, like, Based on that, it feels like he wouldn't want to be in the position to make decisions. Anymore. He's like George Washington, but. I'm wondering if he gave up the position because his mind is failing him. And he's old. How old is he? And that's why old. he gave it up. Fucking old. Yeah. And it wasn't really necessarily because he wanted to. It's because he's just not sharp enough to be in that position anymore. But in that kind of sense, he still is holding on to the position, you know, through through his influence on Lon. I was trying to say he's like George Washington, but with nepotism. He's jo- he, yeah. he gave up the 81. presidency. Yep. 81. Okay, so now we know we live about the same amount of years <laughs> in this world. May he live 300. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I can't May wait rule. the last few chapters, all those, all those, I love all the sayings. <laughs> I do want to bring up that one of the things that I really appreciate from this perspective is that when <laughs> when grandpa becomes an asshole and specifically a racist asshole, one of the first things that flashes to his mind is Lon's sister, Shay, of whom we haven't heard introduced until this point. And how misanthropic, as I said earlier, Sen is to, with foreigners in general. And just like if she wouldn't have gone after and he gets mad later about his old wife, Eni, and it just, oh, God, it hits. It hits. I don't know. I, I don't know what to say. What do you, what did you guys think? That was that was rude. It <laughs> <laughs> was just a low blow. I didn't I didn't appreciate it. The um, wife one definitely was. a Oh, low my blow. gosh. Yeah. Just like. That's just cutting him out from the knees. And, and to me, that's like, I don't know. He just, I don't think he believes in Lon as a leader. And I'm not sure that he's not going to try to work against him at some point. Like, I don't know. 
I would say too, not to be on racist Grampy's side, but he he is concerned about them like lessening their powers through mixing with non Kekanese over time. So not to say that it's okay to be But is that even true? Because I think we learn in well, later chapters in, that like Yeah. Could could be less more powerful. sensitive, right. Right. So yeah, maybe maybe it does make him more powerful. But you you can hear his um closed mindedness when he's like, Of course we should trade with them, but we should not mix with them. <laughs> it's like, Tough oh grandpa. Grandpa <laughs> Don't say that out loud. Buddy, buddy, buddy. buddy. <laughs> not not only does one of your one of your grandchildren date or, or relate with one of them, two of them do. Yeah. You completely disowned one of them for their choice. You know about the make stone eye situation. He probably knows. Right. Well Maybe. who knows? I bet Doru told him. Maybe. You know Doru knows. Does he? What does Doru know? What does Doru know? It's a great question. Does anyone really know? Thomas, Thomas you, you were signaled. pointing. Sorry, I was giving you... <laughs> oh, no, this this <laughs> is space. conspiracy Thomas. That's we don't know if you're handsome. Yeah, we don't understand. Are these the antenna? The jazz do that. I don't get but it. <laughs> this is such a cool introduction to Shay. Like I, I have a, I have a tough time, and we get to Shay a chapter after this. But oh, I like, I like this additional sibling that enters the the mirror here, and the perception of this third sibling that we haven't heard of being so beloved versus the way that Sen talks about both Hilo and Lon, Lon to his face. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is interesting how they link. The siblings like Hilo, we learn about Lon. Lon's chapter, we learn about Shay. And then Shay's chapter, mm-hmm. we learn about Andy. So that was kind of interesting how that pulled us along through the meeting the family members. Just an interesting way that the author put that together. I liked it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is something I noted as well. Like we get these little breadcrumbs laid in subsequent chapters for each of these and then. We meet them and it's like, okay, yeah, cool. So we get like a little taste of how maybe some of our characters feel about one another and then how that character perceives themselves. Also, up until this point, it's been all men and z- literally zero <laughs> women are mentioned except for dead wives and mothers. So it's interesting. It's like, okay, maybe we'll get a, a lead female character here. Can you get two female characters, well, all right? Like, we well, get a well. vessel. <laughs> oh, my God. Did anyone else have anything on Chapter 4? I did indeed. That they missed? Fire away. We touched a little bit on how Carl Sen addresses Lon and how he thinks about Hilo. And I was wondering if anyone had anything else to pull on that. Because, I mean, it is interesting. We see that sort of, he speaks ill of Hilo, but then also speaks about how cut he is in his thick blood. And then he's, you know what I mean? Like, there's that interesting opposition of his viewpoints, I guess. I think there's a lot of mixed emotions and complicated feelings. I mean, going off that thread a little bit, we we talk about the Mountain Clan and the leader that just died, right? And he's reminiscing on how they used to fight alongside one another and they, their disagreements are what split the tribes, split the clans into two and he regrets that like there's there's a lot of complications there's a lot of 
man, it'd be cool to see his perspective, I think, to really get where he's coming from for all of these comments. For the history. It, it, it's yeah. a it's really a mixed bag. But even even for his feelings on his grandchildren, like it feels very, very mixed. But who knows where each of those comments are coming from? A place of malice, a place of motivation, a place of frustration or seeing missed potential, whatever it might be. I think you also see that he's just a kind of a curmudgeon. Like he loves his family, but he can't give a straight compliment. So he has to give backhanded compliments. Like what else are we going to do with Hilo? But he's good at it. But what else would we have done with him? You know, he's just a curmudgeon. He's kind of stuck in the past. I feel like. He's well, he, his, the, like you said, his glory days are yeah. in the past, and now now that things are civilized, there's no way to like show your power. He's got and, his nostalgia glasses on, and he's like looking out the window and reminiscing about when he was the legend and the torch of Geekon or whatever. And even then, he's like talking about his enemy. He's like, "We used to get along," and like he's like, "Those were great times. They were like warring against each other after they." did their revolution and he's saying like yeah and those were cool so times cool. <laughs> yeah it was like- so cool when we were the beatles before yoko ono got in the <laughs> yeah. way and my name is george harrison and the whole mess <laughs> it's just like it's kind of that it's kind of that argument. all right old you, man. Also, you also have to remember when do they get jade when they're like 20 so he's been wearing jade for 19 six, 60 yeah. plus years and mm. it starts to there is that little mention that he should stop wearing so stop much. Stop wearing jade, so much, so, yeah. yeah. It starts talking to you, right? <laughs> no, yeah, for sure, for sure. I'm looking uh, at Thomas and Cross. Oh, I was yawning. No. Grampy's wearing too much jade. Yeah, right? Potentially. Like, and it, it feels like Lon has that perspective of it being too much. I liked the comment about how it's similar to driving. <laughs> it's a brilliant comparison driving yeah. yeah what was it it was that in the book yeah it's it's one it, yeah. it's three comparisons it's driving something else in jade and it's like those three things you shouldn't do once you hit a certain age and <laughs> it just ageist. it makes it very clear yeah well i mean is it though like there there's a certain perspective of like it's you, yeah. my my grandma on my stepdad's side should not be driving anymore <laughs> we all understand that the quote is, like automobiles and firearms, Jade was not something that deter- deteriorating elderly folks and ought to possess. Nailed it. There yes. Nice. Perfect. Yeah. Oh, boy. And Jade studded grandma driving down in a convertible <laughs> with a handgun. It's <laughs> a good image. <laughs> Granny Ta- Rampage. All right. <laughs> Chapter five. The Horns Kitten. Do you have to... It looked like a clap there, Ben. No, so no, no, concern. no, no. I flinched. Prior hands. You and your fucking hands. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Chapter five, The Horns Kitten. <laughs> After Lon's... <laughs> <laughs> We're keeping that in. <laughs> After Lon's decision, Hilo delivers the news to his lieutenants, the Make Brothers. He leaves the estate and sneaks into a woman's apartment through the fire escape. Surprising her, he turns his girlfriend, Make Wen, over and makes love to her. In the morning, after reflecting on their respective families, he leaves planning to visit his cousin, Andin, and call Dushran Academy. 
So we cut from this conversation, this intense moment that happens with racist old grandpa, and we move to Hilo, and we get the first sexy scene really in words and whiskey history because we don't count that one chapter in in dark age <laughs> really <laughs> so i'm very excited to talk about this but we leaving the call estate with the makes behind and the decision to drive away we see him choose to not live in that apartment that he has that's on kind of the ground with everyone else and go to this young woman's apartment and and make it up there and surprise um, her with his hand over her mouth yeah, because that's a good move. There's a I mean, lot of questionable their relationship things. Could be a good move. I was like, it seems right. to be a good move for their relationship, but I'm totally with you. <laughs> Unless you knew that that was like a turn on, never. Yeah. Huff. In the initial draft of the summary, <laughs> I had put fortunately revealed to be his girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. it's, Thankfully, it, takes a weird turn. it does yeah. take a weird turn. Even mm-hmm. then, I'm just like, no, the whole and if if you're a like true fantasy lover, these like really intense almost smut novel level sex scenes that you get in like real fantasy it's it gets questionable when i keep calling her a vessel when like her whole main be her the reason she's alive is like to have sex so so far every time we see make when when is just like like sex ready legs up like you know <laughs> So I, I don't know if she becomes anything more than that, and I really hope she does. But for the time being, it's for me, it's kind of an eye roll. Like, okay, great. Now we have this really our first woman that enters the book, and she's just like... A sex object. So excited to have sex. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's such an interesting perspective. And I, I don't I don't disagree with it by any stretch. I, I understand where you're, what you're cutting for. It's also interesting, yeah. though, coming from a female author that right. it's so Which male is why heavy. I also you know i yeah, think I that that's so why the scene is so well written to me like comparatively like there are a number of mm-hmm. se- pj has never read a sex scene on page so this is very funny to me are you doing- but close <laughs> <laughs> <Pulls> them down <laughs> but i i feel like that's why i like this chapter so much as it ends up being an incredibly well written from a man's perspective to a woman and there's just something there that is much more intimate and like genuine than a lot of men writing women for sure that I appreciate. Okay. We'll see. I'm, I don't I'm know not on board yet. Maybe it's just cause we're coming from yep. Brandon Sanderson. <laughs> I was, I was thrown by the word. Cock <laughs> on the page. I don't know why. I don't know what it was, but it just didn't feel like it matched anything else. As far as the language of the book goes so far. I would say, but like I said, maybe it's just because I've been reading Brandon Sanderson. Nothing like a year. Mormon to make your mouth feel dirty. Right? <laughs> well, like the- that also though, it stuck out to me even on my most recent reread to prepare for this. So I don't, I wouldn't say you're alone there. Yeah, PJ, I was definitely like, oh boy, we're doing it. And have you read First Law or what's the one monster? No, my- don't, 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 don't talk about First Law. We're reading that this fall. I'm so sorry. Just sexy. But yeah, right. <laughs> naturally, that one's that one's intense. Comparatively, that very intense. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was like okay, one of these again. Oh boy! But yeah. we do start for the first time. We're learning what a stone eye is. There's clearly this like entanglement with the make brothers, where he's like, "Oh, I hope your brothers don't find out," and you know, 
there's an undertone of like they worship you and he's intertwined now with their sister. So I think it'll be interesting down the line to see where when comes in, hopefully with more of a character arc than just the sex part. Do you read, how do you read that entitlement between Hilo and the mage family? Well, you know, like when you're hanging out with your, your friends and then they have like a hot sister. It is a classic entanglement. Uh, and PJ, you ever fall in love with your friend's older sister? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when I was younger, for sure, I definitely liked, I had crushes on my sister's friends. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how that develops, especially with like the little nugget that we got earlier about how loyal the make brothers are to Hilo. And then you throw this into it. It just kind of shows you how how much of a risk taker Hilo is. And like he's willing. It informs his character a lot. Like not only do we kind of learn about the way he thinks about women and all this stuff like that, but we also see that he's definitely willing to take risks, not only in business, but in personal life. And it tells you that he's definitely like, I don't know. Is he as loyal to the makes as the makes are to him? Because he's willing. I don't to think kind so. Because he's fucking their sister. Right. He's willing to betray their trust a little bit here, but they look to him like he's their almighty. So that'll be interesting to see develop. I just got to say, we do see a new, like, kind of more sensitive side of Hilo here that is far more intimate, and you know, I'm not just talking about his backside. Like, we we do see kind of a whole a whole thing. <laughs> <It's here>. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no one says cock side like no one's gonna say <laughs> front side <laughs> flip him on his cock side <laughs> oh man I would like to see oh, though no. I would like to see when like you know show her own strength and power cause a lot of this is like he's like wow I can't believe how fucking blind you are to me sneaking in your room it's crazy how you can't even sense me it's just like a very kilo centric power dynamic over when it it's it's also there there's something here too about like Hilo's kind of commitment as like a jade as a green bone because he has those studs embedded as it's described in chapter two that it's like he's he's not just wearing them. They're like a part of him. Mm-hmm. And so there is this difference between the two where like he mentions that like he's been with many women and like whatever else. But there's something special about the fact that like she doesn't have that same sort of lust or desire that sometimes this proximity to Jade gives, which makes it feel real. Them. Yeah, <laughs> which is weird. <laughs> I mean, that could be a turn on. I don't know. I'm not I'm not some kind of <laughs> super <laughs> superman, but. A little bit of kryptonite in the bedroom could be a fun thing. I don't know. <laughs> Not <laughs> if you're, if you're, you're into Superman. that. <laughs> right. <laughs> kill the mood real quick. I mean, maybe not. It doesn't like kill you. It just like zaps you and makes you a real person. It's like, oh, fuck. I can't like, oh, no, I can't shove you. I don't know. Fuck. <laughs> here we are. Whoa. <laughs> right what, hey, now. <laughs> what do you mean by that? <laughs> Sorry. Cut, cut, cut. <laughs> Yeah, there, there's so much that's actually exposed here in a genuine character format, though, and like the the pillow talk, so to speak. Did we have other thoughts on like what comes up during this conversation? And like the relative. Pers- so we, we talk, I should say, let me correct myself just a little bit here. 
The Torch of Kacon focuses in on a relationship between two characters, Lon and his grandfather. This, and it's kind of an intimate thing, even though it's like a they're butting heads. This is juxtaposed as another intimate chapter, but it's it's a much more intertwined relationship, of course. And so you you have like this other aspect to an honesty where in the previous chapter we were dealing with a lot of butting heads. What what do you make of the honesty of Hilo here versus otherwise? Do you think he's being honest to begin with? I mean, that's appear to have rambled. Yes, I think he okay. is, but I think he's just so self-centered <laughs> that that honesty like isn't vulnerability. It's just mm. what like he's just being open. That was my read yeah. as well. I just feel like he's so full of himself that he doesn't really care what he's saying. Like he doesn't see her as having any influence or being able to use any of this information in any way. And he doesn't value like he just values like power and and that kind of stuff. And so she's not she's a stone eye and and she can't even use jade and so he's like he doesn't care. And that's kind of how I I see Hilo in the in these moments. Aaron, do you have anything to add? I think no, I've I said have. it. Okay. <laughs> so, I, yeah, this I don't Cross is being very nice to Hilo. I see this as like Wynn is basically his urchin that lives in the tower <laughs> that he comes to whenever he wants to come. But so given all three of your perspective, what do you make of Mate's interest and not only in how her family is perceived within the clan, but in clan business as a whole. Well, they're like, I'm trying to remember, but they were like, seems like they were kind of dishonored and then they're trying to get their honor back as a family. Is that correct? Yeah. Fair read. Yeah. Okay. Maybe she's a plant. Her brothers put her up to it. That's an interesting thought. I like that avenue. To me, I don't think the makes are that complicated though. They're, they seem like very straightforward characters. So whether they would be up to something, I don't know. Maybe I, I could see that though. I like it. We could be infiltrating the, the call clan a little bit, the no peak group, and they could be some agents for the no, for the, for the mountain clan. I like that. Oh, you think they work for mountain now? Not everyone can work for mountain. Maybe. Ben thinks that everyone is a traitor. <laughs> I don't think I think I think there's something like they had I think the makes are no peak through and through but maybe they they you know they want their family to rise in rank like you were saying within the no peak zone wasn't there something with like a connection between them and mountain the makes yeah you're thinking about and they're trying to rectify like is that what I'm thinking yeah yep that's what I'm thinking I I was still under the impression until we started recording this that this like this was his wife. So I thought this was much more. I really did. I don't know why I thought that, but like it makes for a very different dynamic (laughs) thinking about it with it not being like a, a bonded relationship in that sense. So I like, I like Aaron's take of she's a plant of some sort. I'm willing to follow that thread. Gives, gives her a little more depth. I think we should touch on Shay introduced in the previous chapter. There's a discussion of her here specifically when insisting that she is their grandfather's favorite. They being the calls, obviously. And give me a second to ease back. Sorry. So we see that family dynamic at play with 
the Shay relationship. And then we also see Hilo's perception of that. And we also see how Hilo, for his part, perceived the Enyi situation with Lon. Yeah, Hilo's kind of in tracking with his grandpa. He's like, I would have killed Enyi's mud blood. I don't know what you call him. (laughs) Like I said, yeah, he's just like much more like you can tell he respects power and force and yeah like, there's very little else that impresses he's like Hilo. you disrespect me i'll kill you exactly and it's the same situation with like shay like he said he basically would have gone and killed her lover if lon would have let him and that's where you're just like this is where Kilo really starts to go downhill for me. I'm like, this guy is out of control. You know? It's uh, real douchey. Yes, that's exactly like mm-hmm. as 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 much as he I liked him in the first chapter, this really turned my opinion on him where I was like, this guy's kind of a douchebag. He definitely has a lot of those those sides and elements to him for sure. And I, I think that that's what we pick up upon inside of this chapter is just like there's a there's a dichotomous presentation between the part that he presented earlier and what he's saying now, and there's this sort of duplicitous nature that it's like, what do you, who really are you Mm -hmm. that we're still kind of juggling? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We shall see. We shall see. With that, we go into chapter six, homecoming. Yay. Female protagonist. So (laughs) So chapter six, homecoming Carl Shalinson returns home after a two-year stint in Espania, acquiring her business degree. Having removed herself from the family previously, she returns with the desire to maintain her independence. As she returns, we find that she's greeted with open arms, but exacting opinions on what she should be, not only from her brother Hilo, but from her grandfather, Carl Sen. Get that yeah. business degree. Knowledge is power. She goes off. She was right, an extremely interesting character for me. I, I'm I'm very much interested in her journey, especially with how singular she seems like as a person who has clearly had experiences with Jade and like knows how to use it, but walked away from it and doesn't want it back. That's a perspective that seems very in this world. Like I don't think there's a lot of people that we're gonna meet that have that type of life experience. So I think she'll be I don't know what her role is going to be. Like, I don't know how she fits into this story and what it becomes, but that's something where I, this is a character I immediately latched onto and, and wanted to follow. She, she has this angle of sobriety, like yeah. off the bat. If this nation that we're dealing with is sort of a stand in for, or a conglomeration of a lot of Asian countries, Espenia feels like a stand-in for the West in general. And, and I mean, obviously, particularly America, with the sort of melting pot of, of cultures and sort of the focus on consumerism and business. I don't know if everybody else felt the same way, but that Definitely. was my immediate. And, like, they talk about her wearing a tight dress and she's, like, self-conscious about that she looks Espenian and then people don't even recognize her, even though she's probably the most famous woman in town when she comes back. I also loved her story arc because then we, we start on the Island, but through Shay, we start to see further out. We start to go across the Bay or ocean. 
they, there's no world map. I need a bigger map. There is a map. There's a, you kind of get a map. You get a you sense. You get the dinosaur of, map. Yeah. But then you don't. <laughs> you get the Pokemon a, map. You don't see a Spina. I looked for it. Right. You don't so quite get it. You, you're like, okay, so all the jade then you start learning is is on this island, and this is where the Kekanese are. So Espinia, they don't even like know what her powers would be, and she's just like a foreigner to them the whole time she's there. So you, you start to get a, even a greater sense of what the world is like. Yeah, there's this large assumption of like what she is and what she could be. And I, I love that from her perspective where it's like everyone treats her. I don't I don't love that for the record. I, I love the way that it's presented, though, that it's like you are this sort of foreign object that no one understands. And so you're just the literal concept of a meme where it's like we understand what you are in broad context, but it's a generalization of what you could be in your potential. And so she is always trying to distance herself from that mean that she's a part of, including her own like self-imposed jade exile that she chooses when she leaves the clan and everything else. She seems very much cut from the same cloth as Lon. And so I'm interested to see their relationship and how that develops and like how she's going to help him. I think that they are, since they are cut from the same cloth, it's this interesting dichotomy between Lon has a sense of duty. He's the oldest child. Like he is supposed to be the leader. And then she gets this younger child. And so she kind of is able to maybe make her own path a little more in a way that Lon never felt like he could. And I think that he admires that about her. And I really liked their interactions with each other. And so that's something where I think as far as, as far as the family dynamic, it seems like grandpa and Hilo kind of on one side, and Lon and Shay on the other side. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see that pathway forward for the, for the call clan. There's almost this di- there's almost these sides that are like this is a real family and this is what family is meant to be. Like this is what our family is. Yeah. There's that sort of dichotomy going on between these two those two sides that you painted. There. And and then when Shay returns, she is kind of coming back with her tail between her legs. So right now we're seeing her as ashamed and trying to keep her head down, not trying not to make ripples. But I assume she'll probably get her jade back and then become... Do you think she's going to get her jade back? I think Is that gir- a good thing? I think girl's got to get her yeah. jade back. Maybe she's like, you know, the leader they need. Is she the the baby or is Hilo the baby? She's the baby. She's the baby. She's the baby. Okay. Hilo and her we're, are within. They're like Irish, Irish siblings. Twins, yeah. They're they're within the same year. Yeah, twins. Yeah, Irish twins. Sorry. Yeah, I think eleven months apart yeah. is what it said, which is fucking wild. <laughs> that anybody like I know that happens. Yep. But why? <laughs> right. All of my siblings distinctly have a year and a half between each other. So like <laughs> there are five of us, but it's like there's a full. You know, there's a time frame. PJ, you should know this. You can still get pregnant when you're breastfeeding. That's why. It, that's why it happens. <laughs> wow, wasn't expecting that. PJ, you breastfeed. <laughs> I just want him yeah, to I be didn't safe. Know I could get pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, be safe, up. PJ. Be safe. Oh man, you're gonna jump at someone was saying something. Oh, oh dear God. 
Oh my God. Okay. So there's so much here that I love about Jay's perspective. And I do definitely want to talk about when she finally makes it back to the family. She's welcomed in by lawn, of course. And there's sort of this nice coming home moment that feels like there's a lot let, less expectation on her from lawn. And we just sort of graduate levels of expectation as we move through the chapter of like lawn is like, I'm happy to have my sister back. Grandpa's like, you should be wearing Jade. But I'm glad you're back. I can deal with I you this way. You. Not dating that fuck, right? <laughs> and and there's like there's I a little bit of racism like, tucked in there. Yeah. I didn't want I don't want to say I told you so, but I fucking told you so. <laughs> I fucking told you so. <laughs> he's, he's got his finger guns going blazing. Yeah. yeah, in that moment. And then there's the final confrontation, of course, with Hilo that escalates it to like almost it, he is still willing to like deal with the fact that she doesn't want to be a part of the clan, but he is firmly of the mind of like, why are you back if you're not? And so there's, there's an interesting, there's a lot that goes on inside of that space. Either so I want to explore those three stages. Me. Yeah, basically. But those three stages there's, I think are basically the, the juxtaposition of the chapter. It's that's our whole very thing. well put. Yeah. I like that organization of that. That's a good three rats. About it. Yeah. Yeah. Our three rats. Wow. I think the, uh, the conversation with Hilo takes takes a weird turn that she points out pretty explicitly, but figured we could comment on here. He is asserting that he forgives her for her transgressions when like she feels like she feels the one that's been wronged and that that makes for a really complicated and frustrating interaction between the two of them. And it's not just that, it's also that grandfather feels the same way. So again, we you talked, Ben, earlier about these signs, and that even further extends the edges, right? Where it's like Hilo and Sennington are on the same side, <laughs> mm-hmm. and Lon is totally with Shay on the other <laughs> side, where it's like, I love you, and I love you no matter what. And yeah. the other two are like, I conditionally appreciate you, like, <laughs> I'll take you in, <laughs> but otherwise... Just no more Espinians. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it. But I would disagree with some of that. I, I do know. too. I for like, the record, this is okay. an extreme perspective. Yeah. There's okay. not a lot of nuance in that space, like, but yeah. Hilo, I get the impression, loves his family indiscriminately, but might not like them indiscriminately. Like he has a, he's very, he has a very, old-fashioned sense of what the green bones places in society and duty and all that which is why i think he comes down on the side of his grandfather with the shea situation and had yeah yeah definitely we didn't round out the very end of this which is the fact that shea doesn't choose to stay with the family because she does have that sense of independence and she instead lies to both her grandfather and to hilo that she's searching for a place to live yet while she's still in a hotel and she's kind of calling around so there's this sort of again i've used the term duplicitous a number of times in this episode but she is lying to save her own face because she does want to be entirely independent and no longer reliant upon the family name and the family connections and is even dismissive of the term call gen when it's given to her as the sort of term of respect by members of the no peak clan not to be too modern but she doesn't want to be a nepo baby <laughs> basically yeah. entirely yeah and She's that makes me to like her herself yeah yeah, yeah. No, she is very likable. Yeah, I like Shay a lot. Even though she's kind of coming back, ashamed, like with her tail between her legs, she still 
has some pride and like wants to make her own place. So I, I, that really makes me respect her. I feel like, yeah. And she has the, from grandpa saying like, he can't look at her without her jade on. Like it's shameful for someone, a green bone to not have jade on, you know? Right. And that kind of family pressure, we all know that like even our own lives is something we can all relate to. It's like, that's tough. That's a tough piece of, of being a child and dealing with, family members and especially parents and in this case a grandparent but was basically her dad from what it sounded like that we all know it, it, that's like you never want to disappoint a parent or let them down but at the same time you have to balance that with living your own life and following your own sense of self so i think that makes her extremely relatable and that's why i like her a lot it's, it's this like it's this line between heritage and legacy that you're like threading constantly, which is this idea of like, what did I have and what am I going to leave? And I think that's what's so well illustrated, even in these early chapters, is like there's something before and there's something that I'm going to be responsible for in post. And then her leaving town too, I think taught her a huge lesson, which was she she was obstinate and uh, was like, I can make it on my own. And then realized that Without men are trash. <laughs> well, without, <laughs> she realized quickly, like without her family name meaning anything, and being a foreigner in Espina, like actually she, you know, couldn't make her it on her own. She gave up. So I, I think that'll give her more stamina and resilience for whatever is coming. I also love that. From her. Also from her experience in Espenia, we get a nice little roll credits moment here where it's revealed that the foreigners refer to Jan Loon as Jade City. Mm. Oh, ho! Title of the name drop. Book title. (laughs) 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 Opening credits roll. We see all of our our four characters presented on screen. Jade City. Yeah, we come to terms with that. Yeah. Jade City roll credits let it be known that one of my like biggest disappointments of this last year was a that paramount plus like lost money because of halo and that meant that they cut Greenbone saga as a television adaptation very oh. angry it's uh, one of the most things i've ever heard i didn't know one that. of the worst things they lost so much money on halo that they cut four in production series which included Greenbone saga which is the biggest bummer ever halo sucked, why did they make a halo Halo sucked. Yeah, His idea was so, so bad. Regardless, I'm just so I'm, this this story is so much better than anything that they could have pulled off in Halo. That Halo's it's just not like, even a story; it's no. a fucking game. I've heard the book. The Halo books there's are actually interesting. The Halo there's books book? are actually pretty good. Yeah, yeah there's many books, but regardless, they didn't even try to follow the books nor the game, so right. that's why it sucks. But point being. My biggest disappointment of this last year was that being put off and shelved and moved to a different studio, potentially. So it's not like it's off the table, but it was like, Maybe we're going to be get better. it in 2025. Peacock. But, yeah. Looking at you sideways. Peacock, come on. You can do this. <laughs> Paramount couldn't, but you can. Peacock. Cool. Anything else on, on chapter six? All right. Well, then let's move into the chapter with Andin here. We go to chapter seven called Dusharan Academy. We move to Emory and nearing the end of the day of schooling at the Call Dushron Academy, named for the father of Lon, Shay, and Hilo, a place for training green bones. 
After a friendly sparring match between Hilo and his adopted cousin Andin, we reflect on his state as someone who is very sensitive to Jade and his relationship to others. I love this one. This is such a good chapter. I love a good young person in the schooling and you learn how they like are training. I love it. Oh yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in here. We get the information about the Jade, like I guess the strength and heat. Yeah, and what are they? I guess we have hot bricks here. Disciplines, like the little skill sets yeah. that they can use as a Jade person. It's like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And you get little information about that. And then yeah. you get Andon, who's strength. like very powerful, but trying to like hide it because he wants to fit in. Not he doesn't want to cause a scene. Very classic setup here yeah. with Andon. Yeah, yeah, which I. The, the one thing that sort of doesn't track for me, it doesn't and doesn't. He, he seems out of place a little bit and um, kind of an outcast to a certain degree when compared to the other students. But when he's fighting with Hilo, it's mentioned that he's like the top student at the school. But that could make you an so, outcast. Like being the smartest person in that, class can true. make you people sure. hate you because you're like setting the bar way too high. And he's like, which I think we just also the way he presented himself to the the instructor made him feel, to me at least, like he was lagging behind, like he needed extra help. Or something. Man, that's that's know. so interesting because oh, really? I feel like it's more diminutive, diminutive, where he is taking a second to like step down from this place of like he feels better than his fellow classmates, where he's almost downplaying his advantages. That's how I uh, got it. Yeah, yeah, that's how yeah. I interpret it as well. And then he's also a mixed race, okay. like so. So that's kind yeah. of like a reason why he's, he's a little bit of an outcast as well. And he chooses to use his not his mother's name, which is well known, but he he like chooses to have a more foreign sounding name of Emery because of his the jade sickness that plagues his mother's family name. Yeah, and the exchange with Andon and his instructor and. You know, as we see his place, it gives us a wider view into Ketanese culture as well, where he touches on that it's gauche to like brag and how he downplays his ability with the brit. You know, like my brits were thinner. It's just another piece of that world building that comes naturally and, and makes that's, the culture and the world feel so real. Is this where he and Hilo have the scuffle? Yeah, there probably, is. That uh, does yes. happen. Well, yeah, that does. This is before that. <laughs> I want to bring up just one other thing before we go into the scuffle, which is that we previously in the last chapter got from Shay this perspective of when she left the country, the conversation and teaching being taught was more about like arguing your own point than it was listening and absorbing other people's information and like taking that into yourself. And I thought that was such an interesting point on different teaching styles and learning languages. And like that plays directly into the scene with Andin and the way that it's like, I'm not meant to be superior. I'm not meant to educate you on why I'm so good. It is, I am trying to take in what you're trying to teach me at the same time as I am also playing for status among my peers. Definitely. Sorry, that was intense, but I love this bit. But we get to the duel. The duel's pretty sick. Scuffle. Right? The like little, the scuffle. Yeah. The little, it's it's meant to be like kind of a fun, like, ah, I'm just beating up on my cousin, just you know? Like it's, <laughs> a yeah. noogie. 
Yeah. This is another. This is like really cements Hilo or Hilo as an asshole. As an asshole, <laughs> I love. <laughs> Does it? I feel I like makes him lovable, kind of. Oh, uh, I don't. I like. He's he totally misunderstands like the situation. Like, yes, like he said, the one line that stuck out to me, I feel like, is like he said, Lon used to do this to me all the time, but it wasn't like this. Whereas, like this. Well, no, feels... and then Andon even points out. That Hilo would challenge Lon until Lon just had to like kick his ass yes, to get him to exactly. stop. But this feels like vindictive, almost just like a power play. Like, yes, hey, I can beat you up because and it's fun. I can and I will and don't. You but ever Hilo like sees it as like he's like pushing Andon to like be a better right. fighter and stuff. Or he's like, see how great you are. You beat me up. And he's like, you broke my fucking glasses, dude. Actually, that happens. Like, <laughs> and I can't fucking see. <laughs> yeah. But what I love in this chapter is that Thomas kind of pointed it out. The like, oh, my my bricks are thinner. And like the way they after they win a fight, Don't like, oh, it's yeah. it's too bad that you did leg day today. So your legs are like, <laughs> that. I think that's a great yeah. by Fondly a great like society ism where that's just what they do after a fight. I do like that Andon does get some shots in on Hilo because I do feel like he deserves yeah. them. So I did enjoy that part. It also is another example of how multiple all these characters are, where how last chapter I touched on how traditional a lot of Hilo's viewpoints are. But then as opposed to like you know, you've all touched on how perhaps egotistical he can be and how full of himself. And so that's at odds with the Tetanese culture of being so humble and being like, my bricks were thinner. And then also we see how he gasses up his cousin, like, look what you did to me. And even in private with Shay, with when he says that Andon's going to be a green bone out of legend. So it's just another interesting layer to a character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There, it, it does feel like there are more personality similarities being drawn between Hilo and their grandfather. Like this, this sort of feels like something he would have done in his prime of like going and beating up a a younger promising prospect. Do you think he might've done that with the tall grandchildren? I mean, I think we see him do that. (laughs) (laughs) He's still doing it. (laughs) Oh, well, there's so I much. Think that is a great point, PJ, that you just brought up. <laughs> yeah, I, that hadn't occurred to me, but so I, I just like to call out when our when our homies are doing good. That's all. <laughs> Appreciate you. <laughs> we we also, as mentioned by Aaron earlier and Ben, we get this quick snapshot of the school almost, and we get these six disciplines of Jane Jade, which I think is important to highlight here: strength, steel, perception, lightness, deflection, and channeling as these six elements that make a Jade warrior. And it gives us this thing that we can lean into, especially as you're reading the text, you see these things capitalized and it's like, oh, okay. So this is a moment in which they're calling upon something else. Mm -hmm. It's important to note. So what you guys make of this sort of exploit? It's, it's not fully, it doesn't fully paint the magic system, but it gives us context and like notes to follow. What do you think? It definitely seems like, and then I think, I guess this is kind of plays into the next couple of chapters as well, but it seems like people have specific disciplines that they're better at or that, that they're kind of like experts in channeling. And I think that will do a lot to inform characters. So it'll be, I want to see, I want to know like what Hilo's 
discipline is or one he likes to use. I'm assuming it's probably strength. And then it'll be interesting to see like differently, like what lawn channels and like what he's good at and how that's going to inform his character. And if one day we see what Shay does, like how that will inform her character. So they definitely seem like tantalizing skills, especially like I think lightness like referred to someone like running up a wall at some point so that sounds pretty cool well or barrow going up the in the yeah. restaurant he's Stairs. like this yeah this must be lightness yeah so i like that a lot that that was very intriguing for me and and using them together like andon has to use strength and steel equally in order to break the bricks right. and not or not break the bricks and not burn his he hand. assembles that yeah I liked that those were distinct as well. It, it feels like you could easily build this system where strength and steel were the same. And like, if you're strong, you're also like, well, it's so crazy. Pewter burning basically encapsulates both these things, but it's not the same. Like, yeah, right. right. Mm-hmm. This is a distinct difference between, sorry, I didn't mean to steal that, but like, mm-hmm. my God, comparatively pewter is like, in Mistborn is just so encompassing of like my body is good yeah and this is like your it's not just your body it's like your ability to sense things it's your ability to touch things and interact like it's it's more than that I'm so sorry PJ I stole your thunder no 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 that was but I feel bad I love you right so I'm sorry no you're good I love I love the magic system in the way that it's described there's also I do want to jump back to this especially as it relates to shine and otherwise but i think one of the things that we can't skip over is the way in which hilo refers and like we get this understanding of the mad witch and this paragraph is maybe the most haunting paragraph and the most verbose of this entire section that just gets like claws at something deep so one night, when he was seven years old, Andon had found his mother sitting naked in the bathtub in the middle of the night. It happened after a hot day in the middle of summer. He remembered that. One of those scorchers when people iced their bedsheets in the evening and hung wet towels in front of fans. He'd gotten up to pee. The light in the bathroom was on, and when he walked in, he, was, he saw her sitting there. Her hair was hanging in limp, wet strands in front of her face, and her shoulders and cheeks were shiny under the yellow glow. The only thing she was wearing was a three-layered jade choker she never took off. The bath was half full, the water pink with blood. Anne's ma looked up at him, and her expression blank and confused. And he saw that she held a cheese grater in her hand. The skin of her forearms was shredded, the flesh exposed like ground beef. Tough. Gross. Brutal. <laughs> brutal. <laughs> pretty fucking brutal. Oh my god. <laughs> And she's like, I'll go back to bed. Everything's fine. Yeah. And she just like, I was just too itchy. Yeah. I just, just itchy. Couldn't sleep. I'm too itchy. And then now he has PTSD. Like he can't get up in the middle of the night. He, he also like constantly evaluates all of his own things as like, do I measure this against what my mom experienced? And like, he's, he's and taking that uncle. in as like this measuring stick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ugh. And then, like, Hilo comes and beats him up, and he's like, well, I don't want to be... There's just this mixed bag of, like, who is Andon? What does he want to be? Right. And especially when Hilo confronts him with Shine, you know? Like, that's that adds. And it, like, it also 
adds that element of to him of like how he doesn't have confidence in himself really so he's like am i gonna turn into this like do i need to be careful should i be pursuing this like all of that plays into why he's unsure of himself he has good reason if it's if it's hereditary the itchiness right there's a potential implication that his family which has this tragic history how much of that is due to a proneness to the itchiness and insanity and then also we hear about you know the weakness that foreigners have to jade so he has that double-edged sword that's really seems to be driving an insecurity in him oh brutal all right i think that rounds it out are we good on chapter seven and then how it ends yep oh yeah it's like oh i guess he's i guess Hilo's saying something's happening with the mountain clan but i haven't seen it yet that's a very (laughs) that is a very stephen king i know that pj has experienced very little of king but like that is a very stephen king stinger at the end of like well he didn't know it was coming and the next chapter is like he still didn't know it was coming (laughs) as it opens it's like oh my god (laughs) yeah yeah so we go into chapter eight the boat day encounter andon and his friends celebrate boat day enjoying a rare day off from their exacting stooling Andon celebrates maybe a little too hard, as it turns out, and inadvertently wanders into a mountain-controlled part of town. Separated from his friends, he gets into a fight with three students from the Mountains Academy, which is broken up by two high-ranking members of the Mountain Plan, who then seize on this opportunity to have a surrogate call in their power and take him to what they call the top of the mountain. Here goes. This, this feels so well-prepared. But knowing that like it, it is truly happenstance makes me wonder if they had like a contingency plan of like if we ever get this opportunity, this is what we'll do. Or if it was truly a spur of the moment, off the cuff, like let's take advantage of this opportunity. Kind of deal. This gaunt fellow seems quite formidable and good at what he does. And so I feel like when he sees this opportunity, the plan forms quickly for him. But, but yeah, I would. It is. It is an interesting question, PJ. I would agree. Gaunt Ash is so fucking intimidating as a character. <laughs> yes. We'll get there in a second. But like, Jesus Christ, introduction. <laughs> there, there are few characters that are as terrifying. Also, what a fucking name. Yeah. 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 Gaunt Ash. You also see in the beginning of this chapter how. It's not just, there's not just like racism towards Espenians and non Kekanese, but obviously within these two clans, it runs down into the children, even where it's like, you can't be on our streets. You're not even going to buy anything. Very much gang yeah. situation. And, yeah. and it's, it starts from the top down. It's like, we, none, we can't be friends with anyone across the line. And then, on that more zoomed in map, you see how intertwined the No Peak and Mountain Clans are with some undisputed territory kind of in between. So you could, it's just like a hotbed for conflict. Yeah. The, the city is severed in a couple of ways. So much so that Andon has never been 
in mountain territory before. And he remarks on how surprised he is that it looks almost <laughs> yeah. identical. He's heard so many like, bad they, things. He's been... like, oh, they're just like also living their lives. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Like how Frostland, you said it's severed, but it really isn't. It's only for the select members of the clans. For everyone else, they just come and go as they please throughout the city. Yeah. So yeah. interesting. We just have this little wrinkle. We've got a jaded perspective, perhaps. <laughs> There's our first Ooh. dad pun of the entire podcast. <laughs> I liked it. Um, we'll keep it jaded. It was going to happen. Them. It was going to happen. Like, thanks, thanks, Aaron. I appreciate the support. <laughs> Yeah. God, I, I love. Because, yeah, go ahead. It, it's interesting because we see almost that it seems like the clans have unlimited power, but then we see a way that their power is so limited and their perspective so narrow. Yeah, it's tough to like even even begin to parse. Like this is the first chapter where you begin to manifest the way that these clans are actually dueling over land and property, and this is where it's like oh shit, I was caught on the wrong side of the fence and now I'm being dragged back somewhere else. Yeah. And, it's you like, know, I'm a, I'm a little bit drunk with my friends and so like, fuck. But also, we, we, we have a rule on the podcast for the record. Whenever anyone drinks in the books, we take a drink. Mm. You have a drink, take a drink. Cheers. It's fine. It's very much like gang, but. gang zones or... Mm-hmm. Like we said before, the mob or like, you know, these are our streets. Right. Don't cross line. It's It sucks for Andon, too, because he pointed out he was drinking sugary Cokes. Cause, Hoji. Yeah. Well, the, ho- the Hoji is what everyone was drinking. And he's like purposefully not getting drunk to like stay on guard. But then because he's drinking like soda, basically, he has to pee. <laughs> so he kind of like kicked himself in the nuts there where... He he wasn't getting as drunk as his friends, but then still ended up alone on the wrong side of town. So right. he thought he was being smart. <laughs> still, it turns out that still you can't kid. go into yeah. any, you know, Denny's and go to the bathroom. <laughs> these are these are gang Denny's. Yeah, <laughs> I saw it as like a Casey's. <laughs> yeah, sure, with like totally. pizza. You know, <laughs> yeah, entirely. It's a very you're Midwest. not even gonna yeah. buy any pizza from Casey's the best pizza <laughs> that quote of he thought he was being smart i feel like pretty well encapsulates every teenage yep. boy in existence <laughs> <laughs> i'm pretty Ever. sure that's absolutely exactly yeah. how everybody feels as a teenage boy i think i think you're right i'm a little disappointed we don't eat whenever people eat on the show because fried bread <laughs> that just looks delicious yeah so oh my god fried yeah, bread. I definitely have that thought Ooh. anytime has anyone give me, ever give me some bread knots <laughs> I think Andon might be the only person in history to be drunk and not want fried food. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's the point. He, he wasn't drunk. He, was, he wasn't drunk. He, he was kind of drunk. Kinda drunk. Yeah. He was kind of drunk. drunk. But he, he should have been more drunk, but he wasn't yeah. because he was being He was trying to be. Yeah. Yes. And he was already stuffed, Thomas, because he mentions. Responsible call, but he's not a call. He's saying, like, I'm already drink, stuffed and I don't have pit. money, but I'll, mm. he's thinking like, I guess I'll go buy some. So yeah. he's. Punks don't beat me up. Then we learn more about Andon's family, right? Or we we get like tinglings of, oh, you knew my mom or through Gaunt. Through Gaunt. Right? Through yeah. Through the buff Thomas, scarred you arms. You've got a big note on Gaunt that I want to talk about for sure. I have I have several notes on Gaunt. The one most relevant Gaunt here Ash. is what do we make about these assertions that he makes about 
Andon's family, and that if things had gone differently, Andon might be a member of the Mountain Clan right now. This comment is one of the main things that make me feel like this was a contingent plan. Like anytime we have this opportunity, we're going to take it because it feels like he could be persuaded with these stories and with these comments to jump ship into turncoat a little bit. I was going to say also, Gaunt seems pretty reasonable, like as a dude, and he <laughs> is treating dude. Andon pretty well and is like very straightforward with him as not deceiving him at all he's, i think he's probably deceiving you think so he's acting straightforward i think yeah he's probably he's up to a little something for sure and this kind of gets into my they literally kidnapped yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, they literally kidnapped yes I, I i guess I you, you're right there i feel like each <laughs> one of, of you for another horn but he's not like, beating children right. kidnapping yeah. a-okay okay true. interesting yeah. true. Ben. all right <laughs> he's, very, he's straightforward with him and this is gets, like this does get into my larger conspiracy where I'm saying like are the mountain clan the good guys maybe like are mm. are our family members up are some of our family members like up to some bad stuff doing some bad things and then we're going to see a different perspective here where these people that we've been introduced to are not doing the right things and and maybe it's the mountain clan that is kind of has the more righteous position of the two clans and is andon going to be pulled in between them and, and then maybe work be a kind bridge of, yeah and then you kind of work lawn into that where he is kind of this figurehead but maybe he doesn't know everything that's going on in his organization he finds out there's some shady shit going on that he doesn't agree with and that so that's kind of where I'm going with with my it sounds like a bad larger... corporate structure you know like it sounds like a like a really bad like CEO is like I don't know what's going on in my HR department but they kept firing people and killing Happens them a lot more I don't than get you it. think yeah, right <laughs> Aaron has been chomping at the bit ever since you started talking Ben so I got to give go ahead me yeah, you were you were sitting there like munching on the microphone when was when Ben was talking to, about the groups. I was groups. trying to scroll. Uh, all right, all right, fine. You don't like my mountain clan conspiracy? I think that's a great thought, and I don't know. I don't trust Ike Mata, maybe because they don't want me to. But she seems like a huge bitch. <laughs> okay. Shots. I'm fired. so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> she seems like a huge bitch. <laughs> We've only heard know. about her. And therefore, I'm a no-peak clan because of my own situation. We haven't actually... We've only heard about her from the no-peak perspective, though. I don't know. She's a... You know, she didn't fight in the war. She came... She came... Well, she did. Wait. Does she know Grandpa? She's the we daughter don't of... don't know. Right? Yeah. Well, of, we... Yeah, she she appears to be the inheritor of yeah. that clan, but not by blood because yeah. they didn't have any descendants. The answer that we get is that he did not have any kids. Yeah, so the clan. 
You're being suspicious, Cross. I'm not being suspicious. <laughs> I'm answering answer questions without get. providing additional context. <laughs> what does that mean? It's, I think, it's, it's not. It's, it's the answer that we get right now, and you know, yeah, we, we have mean? a duty to. We have a duty to make, so who maintain client secrecy. So, like, now I'm suspicious here, about who so. she's related to. Well, who my thought, isn't she related to? Do you want to come over to the conspiracy corner? Come on, sit down. Well, only because Cross shuffle? is being not forthcoming. The conspiracy corner is growing. Bam. It's going to get worse. I don't understand. Like, it's only going to be worse from here. PJ, you're I up. I think Andon is the true heir to the mountain. Nice. Wow. 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 First folks. Think wow. That's where this is going. I like that, PJ. Very much in, in love right. with that theory. That's my new theory. <laughs> I, you thought of it? <laughs> There's a lot of conspiracies going on, and I love it. <laughs> yeah, I like your guys' podcast because it just allows me to go deep and deep into the conspiracy corner and make up all kinds <laughs> of irresponsible. Deeply off <laughs> yes. a cliff. That's, that's our whole vibe. We, we want it. We want to provide people with misinformation until we correct the path. Like that's our idea. And for everyone else who's read the whole thing to be like, Oh God, they're so wrong. <laughs> so fun. Or so right. You know, that, that happens. From time I'm just to time. out here to give bold takes. Hot take. But, Gaunt Ash is a fascinating character. Extremely. I, mean, I think we could talk about him for quite He's a while. He's the only one to win the duel by combat, the, trial by the combat. Death of consequence. Oof. Death of consequence. Another good nickname. Which, yeah. What a fucking concept. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> this idea that like you're going to be executed and you're like, I ask for a death of consequence. And then you fight your way out of that circle. And he did it by stealing, which Woo. seems like. He, like makes himself hard enough not to be like fully stabbed. I don't know the full concept he gets of that. A little cut. But he's got cuts. He's obviously got scars left over from it. But like that is pretty. He's got to wear shirtless cool. leather vests. <laughs> his bike gang. He's he's kind of he's just chill about it too. The whole time yeah. he's like he's very nonchalantly powerful. Yes, like he's just. He's leaning back in his leather chair and he's like, what are you going to do? Like, you could leave if you wanted to, but are you going to try, Andon? Yeah. I really like him as a foil to, as the horn that's a foil to Hilo, who's all bravado and show of power and very much like in your face and like willing to show his power. And Gaunt's just like quiet power and authority. And he just like lives it, breathes it and oozes it in a way that Hilo like wishes he could and feels like maybe he wants to be perceived but can't be because he's kind of a hothead about it. Yeah. Do you think that is like personality reasons between the two or is there more there or less there? I think it's youth and you know age number 1 I would say like Clearly, Gaunt has a lot more life experience and has been through so much more. And so that informs the way he goes about things. And Hilo has to like act even older and tougher than he probably would want to just to assert his authority because of his age. Right. And he's got the title of like the youngest horn ever. ever. And so that's like adds to kind of his bravado and like his how full of himself he is. And uh, so that plays into his the way he acts i feel like and gaunt's like 
I've fucking seen death. You know, <laughs> like I have cut down eight men to save my own life and came out the other side. Like, I don't need to prove shit to anybody ever again. Yeah. I like that comparison. All right. So we move into the final chapter of this week, Skirting Ice Show. We pick up with Lon dealing with clan business when he's interrupted by an urgent phone call, quickly realizing it to be a member of the mountain and that they have Andin. He evaluates the situation and attempts to manage Hilo's rage, who stands at a hair trigger's breadth from going off. Right away, I have a problem with the summary. Perhaps. Here's the thing. Is Hilo out of line for being a hair trigger away from going off? No one's saying there's there's no perspective on it being incorrect. It's okay. just that he is at that line. That is fair. Though. I just wanted to yeah. raise He surrounded it up. the yeah. hotel. It's, a, it's meant to be perspectiveless. That's my intent. <laughs> and I, I think Lon has a pretty good read on the situation. He's like, I, all right, this is what's going on. I know exactly how Hilo is going to react to this. And I've got to play some damage control a little bit before before anything bad happens. I do like that little nugget that they add that the mountain clan has maybe made a play like this before with another clan that they annex. So I think that ups the stakes a little bit. So I like that adding it in because at first you're like, okay, nothing's going to happen. We're 10 chapters into the book or whatever. And like, we're not going to start all out warfare right now, but adding that little a nugget in there that they've done this before and maybe it's a tactic and making Lon question himself a little bit and question his decision to stand down. I like that a lot. That that added some little tension there, I feel like. Absolutely. I, I think it only it, it compounds the whole situation. Right. It's like, oh God, we've seen this before with the lower clans and now they're trying to pull this with us. What does that make us in their minds? Like there's there's that meta game almost mm-hmm. to the whole thing. And speaking of the other clan, again, we learn oh, there's lower clans, there's other clans, people have been pushed out. So it's not just No Peak and Mountain. So I think maybe down the line we'll learn about other groups. That's a great question. Yeah. Will we? Just, (laughs) I'm not telling you. you, How dare you ask me? We haven't been having citrus drinks. We're fine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're we're (laughs) a-okay. I am a little nervous for when I have I to just opened up my this. book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I was, we're going through this, this summary and I'm like, what else happened in this chapter? And I like open up a book and yeah, the it's... reason why I'm like at a loss for it is it's like four <laughs> yeah. pages. It long. is, it <laughs> is a there's, there's... fast chapter. It's rapid, yeah, it's but they're bafflingly short. Yeah. Or deceptively and that's... short, I guess. That's why it feels good to maintain here to some degree is like this is a great cliffhanger ending of like, okay, we have this perspective of like Lon is in a meeting with a bunch of business people and he gets called out of it, including Doru for the record. He's meeting with Doru. There's there's this whole thing of like all of the people are fleeing the room, including the secretary of Doru, and they're just like wandering outwards. There's this sort of petty clan business nature of it, but it just gets into this sort of meaty detail of like, okay, you buddy, brother, hey. I get it. We're on the phone. Yo, are you good? And he's like, I'm not fucking good, dude. (laughs) (laughs) And I think Fonda set us up really well to understand Hilo's fondness for Andin as like a little brother. So he immediately goes into protective older brother vibes 
and maybe he's even acting with this show of strength surrounding the hotel ready to like fuck shit up because he knows his brother is maybe too steady and too slow to act. So Hilo's like, well, I'm just ready in case Lon doesn't do what he should do, which is get Anden back. It's definitely a little bit of a redeeming quality for him. I feel like, like he does have like genuine love for Anden, genuine concern. And it's not just about him wanting to start some kind of conflict with the mountain clan. It is coming from the perspective of like if one hair on his head is out of place, even though they're out of place because I beat the shit out of (laughs) him. He's like scared (laughs) for his brother and, and cares about him. So that is definitely a little bit of a redeeming moment for him. For sure. I feel like there's also an interesting difference in language where early, like we see that, Hilo views Andon as a brother, where Lon says he views him as a nephew. Interesting. I didn't notice that. I like that. I think that makes sense, though, because Lon is almost 20 years older than Mm -hmm. Andon, Mm -hmm. and Hilo is nine. Yeah. A decade. years older, so like... Yeah. Yeah. I have an uncle who's three years older, three and a half years older than I am. So it's like, I think of him as my older brother in the same context, even though I'm the oldest brother. He's my dad's youngest sibling by two decades, plus a little bit of change. And so there's, I I feel that context and I love this context because it does add something to that relationship. And I can relate immediately where it's like, oh, but you also feel that abstraction of distance from lawn where like he is not quite as intimately involved with Andon versus like even Shay is perspective is like given like, Hey, go hang out with Andon, like from Hilo, like just go check out, go check out your cousin, like go hang out. And she might eventually, but Hilo has an intimate connection with Andon already, including calling out for the record. We didn't talk about this in the last section. The fact that he's gay, how right to his face, which yeah. is like <laughs> something that's kind of like hidden. Yeah. Yeah. We, we kind of <laughs> skipped over that a little bit, but like, the fact that there's also that conflict inside of him versus the perception outwardly of like what a Jade warrior should be. And yeah. I'll say just for my part, when I was first reading and I, I want to say like most of the time when I call something out, it is as like a first reader, not in anything else, but that was a redeeming aspect for me on my first read through how he just didn't care that. Yeah. Was nonchalant. Yeah, yeah. I like the way that that was introduced for sure. And the way Fonda has Hilo being like, it doesn't matter. Like, just watch your jade. You know, it, yeah. it kind of, you're like, okay, maybe their world is similar to ours where being gay or being other in any way would make their life harder. So that's why Andon's like keeping it from his friends. They're, it's still not a evolved yeah. society. But, but at the same time, his brother, you yeah. know, is, is willing to be like, hey, that's a-okay. And like, I don't care. The item make no other judgment. I'm still going to beat the shirt of you and yeah. nuggy you yeah. into the dirt. <laughs> and and, um, and like brotherly advice, like Aaron was nuggy. saying, like watch your jade. Yeah, just like, yeah. You know, Who, from whoever you're almost. sleeping with, make sure they're a <laughs> yeah. stone eye. He's like a little wink and a nudge, but you know, <laughs> we don't necessarily yep. know that. Yeah, us wondering what what will happen to Andon. He's he's sitting there waiting to talk to Aitmata, presumably, right? He's up at the top. Presumably. He's at the top of the mountain. Yeah. Climb every mountain. Climbing 
Anything else in chapter nine in skirting eyeshow? The one, the one thing that I found interesting was that they gave him exactly a three hour warning of when he's going to be released as opposed to just keeping him for three hours and then letting it like letting him know when they're letting him go. Like this gives them the opportunity potentially to retaliate in like, I, it just felt like a weird, it is a slight provocation decision. for sure. That's so fascinating. I would have never taken that as a provocation. I would have taken that as a, like if he's not out in three hours, I'm going to go off versus like, it's more of a timer of like, I will delay my bomb explosion of Hilo for three hours. And if you go any further than that, yeah. I'm going to go off. Yeah, I'm letting the dogs leave. Yeah. But they're giving themselves enough time to make some kind of impression like, on. Andrew. Yeah. 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 Um, uh-huh. You're like, Hey, by the way, we knew your mom. Right. Yeah. By the way, your family would have been welcome here. Your cheese gratered mom <laughs> would have been welcome here. Yes. What do we oh. make of the concept of Aisha? That's like the the like gang compact, right? I mean, it's kind of like their unwritten rules, I guess. The unwritten well, rules yeah, of you baseball. Can't, you can't kill a jadeless kid. Right. Mm-hmm. You can kidnap him, though. No one says you can't. Right. Yes, it's, it's interesting to see that there are those kind of unwritten rules that tells you a lot about, I think, the setup of the clans and just like what this is about. This is some old school gang show that they have respect for each other still, but there's certain lines you can't cross, but it is like Lon says at one point, you know, this is very close to like crossing the line of Aisha. So it'll be interesting to see who, who wrote Aisha. I don't know. That's yeah. I'm not sure if there's like, it's is just there like, like a, a contract? It's actually written out or if it's just kind of a concept of like, doesn't it say somewhere that their grandfather helped write it when they, when they split? From the One Mountain Society. Cool. Does it, I, I feel like I remember something like that happening. I don't remember there, that, which is not to there say seems to be, There seems to be a vague definition. And so, like, right now we're still left in some vagaries of, like, where it came from. And I'm, I'm just going gonna, gonna to leave this on, like, the note of, like, <laughs> there's more to be defined here, of course, nice. as naturally will happen. But there's something to pick up upon inside of the chapters we've seen so Yeah, far. it definitely seems like it's going to be a concept that we learn more about. Is gonna, there's going to be more to that concept and how the story develops. Yeah. It's, it's been, it's an intriguing start for sure. I still don't have a great grasp of where it's going, but I definitely want to find out. And I definitely am already attached to some of these characters and want to see what happens with them. So that's all you can really ask out of a a good book. I feel like I would love to hear who you're attached to of the characters. Definitely Lon, definitely Shay. Shay for me at the top and then Andon. And then yeah, I like Andon too. Yeah. But I'm I think I'm most interested in Lon personally. That tracks. I just want more of Sampa. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck, PJ. Sampa. <laughs> I felt like Sampa was like, I done. love the hut. <laughs> yeah. I love Jabba. Like, fuck yeah. Give me more Jabba. I felt like he was done dirty with all the round face descriptions. Yeah. Brutal brutalized by Barrow's perspective of like this guy's a piece of shit. It reminded me of like Kip and Lightbringer. Oh yeah. Like totally round face idiot. Doesn't know shit. (laughs) Oh, you're so right. That was great. That's great. 
All right, Thomas, you had some closing thoughts, questions that you wanted to ask. I have some closing thoughts. All of you, besides Frost, would you want to be a dream bone, given everything you know right now? Yes. Sign me up. (laughs) Okay. I would like... I would like to have some permanent jewelry studded into my chest. Yeah, that sounds pretty fucking awesome. Let's do it. Yeah, I don't want to be left out of the magic system. That's not so fucking cool. Expedian sounds boring. Okay, fair enough. Why can't you two answer? You know too much. Yeah, it feels better to ask you the question than it does for us to answer it. We'll get there. Okay. Mm That's it. I had another one, but I feel like we covered it in the opening, sort of naturally. I, I do. So. I, I feel like closing this actually naturally with this question makes a lot of sense to me. And I would love to hear everyone's prediction on whose story this really is. This is Thomas's question, but at the same time, I want to re-ask it here of like, whose, whose story do you think that this is in the end? I'll go first. Andy. Andon. You keep calling him Andy. Well, I, I mean, that's his calls nickname. him Andy. No. Yeah. yeah. It's because you're friends. Yeah, yeah. You feel friendly with him. You think it's Andy? Yeah, th- that's what I'm gonna say. I think if we have to choose one, I'd pick Andon. But I, I really think it's going to be Andon and the, the three siblings. Okay. I feel like Lon will take a big lead. He is the leader. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a safe. Feels guess. natural. Yeah. Okay. So, so we stand on Andy, Lon, and the siblings as groups. All right. Cool. Anything else? Anything else that you guys want to say to punctuate this first section? I'm excited to hear more. Yeah, looking forward to next week. Dope. Yeah. Next week looks like to everyone out there reading chapters 10 through 17. We're going to be reading chapters 10 through 17. So that's where we'll leave you for this week. Thank you, as always, to Tim and Andrew for helping us keep the show going and making sure it exists and can be accessed. (laughs) It's Uh, a big deal. You can check out all the links in our show notes where you can find our schedule, Patreon, previous episodes, websites, social media accounts, all in one very convenient location. And let it be known that on each of these episodes, you will not only find our own links, but you also find links to Howler Pod, which is an Atomic Pylon podcast. And I feel like we should just like eat. We should just like bite the bullet and like make high key obsessed a, an atomic violent <laughs> podcast. Are we? I mean, it feels like we should. I don't know. But, external discussions. <laughs> we'll have external discussions. Set, <laughs> set your price high, Thomas. <laughs> it's, it's intense. Not not a negative glare, but it was it was a look of like, are you going to do that live? <laughs> That's episode three. Just wait next episode, but then the one after. <laughs> Needless to say, you can find all of the associated podcasts, at, including everyone's socials, inside of our links for this. You can find us and everything else that's going on with us, Words Whiskey Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, Words and Whiskey Show, gmail.com, patreon.com forward slash Words and Whiskey if you want to support this show and everything that we do for everyone else. Inside of Atomic Pylon and t shirts for our show are at T Public and HowlerPod.com. We're taking over your website very soon. So, like, I don't, I don't want to, you know, we're already in the midst of I that. I still own so HowlerPod.com. I know it. we we have the IP login, so it's good. It's going to be converting. Well, you're not, you know. I'm sorry, but it's it's coming. It's sticking over. But we're very excited for everything to forthcome. You can of course check out Howler Pod and High Key Obsessed as you should. 
at their respective locations on Instagram, Twitter, etc. You're just high key obsessed pod, right? Podcast, crazy? Yeah. Podcast, yeah. Keep obsessed podcast, yeah. There used to be the underscores, but I took them out. Nice, nice. And then it's nice. Howler Pod. Yep, on correct. All socials, dope. Check them out there. You can follow us otherwise, and we'll see you next week. Bye. 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 Bye.